Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Great Facebooks all claim to get it right. In volumes of religious texts which have their own agenda, their lies a silver thread of truth mixed in with propaganda. Be careful what you say to those with whom you'll be at odds, who've taken on the dogma in the pantheon of gods. Remember, organize religion. 
safe, stay indoors, and listen to us. Now, back in time to a great past show on Night Dreams Radio. Please check out the Night Dreams Talk Radio website at www.nightdreamstalkradio.com. Also, if you want to keep our show free of advertising, just hit the donate button. Give a buck or two. Remember, all prior shows are always free to listen to. We at Night Dreams Talk Radio thank you for your support. When you see someone who's struggling, it's natural to want to help. Fortunately, Pacific Source Health Plans has resources to do just that. Our member support specialists work to help our members meet real, everyday challenges like food insecurity and housing, isolation, stress, and difficulties with language. They even help with transportation, utility bills, copay assistance, and arranging home care. Our member support specialists are committed to your well-being and your privacy. Going beyond what's required. Just another way we put members first. Learn more at PacificSourceMembersFirst.com. The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well crafted. This is the story craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. You thirst for some significance of the both-dimensional kind. You enter a realm of spirit, of sight and sound and mind. Your radio is a cosmic doorway and your psyche begins to spark. When you tune in to Gary and the sun...
The views, opinions, and representations expressed on the Night Dreams Talk Radio Network and its website are those of the hosts, guests, and participants, and are not necessarily those of or endorsed by the network, its affiliated stations and broadcasts, the management, other hosts, or advertisers of the network. The shows found on the Night Dreams Talk Radio Network can, but do not necessarily, promote any particular lifestyle, belief, religion, political affiliation, or other personal practice. These shows are for entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to treat, diagnose, and or claim any cure of disease or condition, or give any medical or legal advice. Night Dreams Talk Radio, After Dark, wants to give a big shout-out to all the truckers that listen to our show. Night Dreams Talk Radio Network brings you... The World Paranormal News with James Creechbaum. Now, the latest news. I'm James Creechbaum with the Paranormal and World News, and Flat Earth Conspiracy is continuing to spread. Despite overwhelming evidence, to the contrary, more and more people now believe that the Earth is flat. What was once a little more than a tongue-in-cheek Thought exercise has now become something of a movement unto it all of its own. A belief that is gaining in popularity despite flying in the face of centuries of established science, indisputable, indisputable physical evidence, and more than an iota of common sense. The third annual Flat Earth International Conference, which was recently held in Dallas, Texas, was attended by more than 600 people whose unshakable belief that science is wrong, space flight is fake, and that the Earth is flat, is disk, has, it has brought them together from all over the world. We've all been communicating online, but this brings us together so we can shake hands and give each other hugs, said attendee. We can collaborate. We can make new friends because guess what? Our old friends, we lost a lot of friends. The fact that the Earth is round... <laughs> is an indisputable as the nose on your face. So why do so many people believe otherwise? People, in essence, are just trying to understand the world, said conspiracy theorists. They may have distrust towards powerful people or groups, which could be the government or NASA. And when they look towards evidence that makes sense to them, that's what they may think. Now, these worldviews, is endorsed, it's difficult to break out of that mindset. Perhaps at the end of the day, the Flat Earth Movement is as much about people finding a connection with other like-minded individuals than it is about actually proving that the Earth is flat. As things stand, it seems unlikely that such beliefs are going to die anytime soon. Now, also, um, recently, the Vietnamese Mouse deer has been rediscovered. It was thought extinct since the uh, mid-1990s. hasn't been seen since, but it has been filmed, and it's neither a mouse nor a deer. And in contrast to the usual news, it's not extinct anymore either. The adorable and diminutive silver-backed chevrotain of Vietnam, also known as mouse deer, was thought to have gone extinct in the 1990s. Now researchers say... They have caught evidence of a population of mouse deer and believe there may be pockets of Vietnam, in Vietnam of the animal that still thrives. 
and formerly known as a mouse deer because there's no better way to describe what this thing looks like. The silverback chevrotain is a small, ungulate native only to Vietnam. While never officially declared extinct, the mouse deer was already so rare that the International Union for the Conservation of Nature listed its cons- conservation status as data in defici- deficient. Apart from unconfirmed local reports, the animal hasn't been seen in nearly 30 years. Now, according to the new paper published in the Nature, Ecology, and Evolution, researchers have video evidence that there is at least a small population of mouse deer still living in southeast Vietnam. Also, uh, this just came in today. Two Air Air Force airmen killed or killed in a supersonic jet, jet mishap at Vance Air Force Base. Two airmen are dead after their T-38 Talon training aircraft were involved in a mishap at Vance Air Force Base in Oklahoma. The incident took place at about 8.10 a.m. this morning while the aircraft were un- undergoing a training mission. Two airmen were aboard each aircraft. The condition of the two surviving airmen is not clear yet. Uh, new helicopter footage shows one T-38 resting upside down in the grass adjacent to the runway and the second T-38 upright farther away in the grass. Vance Air Force Base officials have not yet commented on the cause of the accident, but the inva- investigation is going ongoing. Next news break, top of the hour. The views, opinions, and representations expressed on the Night Dreams Talk Radio Network and its website are those of the hosts, guests, and participants, and are not necessarily those of or endorsed by the network, its affiliated stations and broadcasts, the management, other hosts, or advertisers of the network. The shows found on the Night Dreams Talk Radio Network can, but do not necessarily, promote any particular lifestyle, belief, religion, political affiliation, or other personal practice. These shows are for entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to treat, diagnose, and or claim any cure of disease or condition, or give any medical or legal advice. Coming to you from some far point station, like a cosmic tumbleweed, both north and south of the Pleiades, here's your host... Gary Anderson. That is me. I hope everybody's having a great week here today and staying out of trouble. I know I have, well, somewhat. But Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing. The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. What can I say? Now, tonight we got Whitney Striper coming on, talking about his new book here in about an hour, A New World. 
And I'll tell you what, I've got into the book. I haven't read it all yet, but I can tell you it is really, really fascinating. And I'll tell you what, uh, uh, that poor guy with his abductions he had going back from 1989 onward. And you know what? In his newest book, he explains how that he's been able now to communicate with the uh, aliens that have been abducting him. So we're going to be talking to him for an hour and a half here later tonight. Anyway, you know, I want you to check out our website at www.nightdreamstalkradio.com. Tell your friends about us. Remember, Night Dreams Talk Radio, we rule the early night. Anyway, James, how you doing? I'm I'm doing good. Got a little bit of a head cold, but I'm doing fine. How you been, buddy? I'm just cracking along. I'm just cracking here. <laughs> just cracking and uh, moving along. And, you know, speaking of Whitley Strieber, um, you, you know, he, he had his experiences, I think, in the early 80s to the mid-80s. And it, when his book came out in uh, 80, 88, I believe it was, I was in, actually, I was in Upper State, New York, when it came out. And I bought the book, and it was like I was blown away because, you know, I'm also thinking, wait a minute, I'm in Upper State, New York, too. That's scary, you know. And I've been blown away ever since. I still have the very book. I'm looking at it right now from his original book that he came out with, Communion. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear what he's got to say for sure. Yeah, his uh, implant was, believe it or not, was in uh, 1989 is when he got implanted. Oh, wow. I do. I, I did see him on a documentary just within the last couple of weeks where he said he was in a... He was going to one of those paracons to talk, or you know, or whatever it is, conventions, and he uh, was in a hotel room, and they, they, the uh, species, aliens, whatever you want to call them, came to him and there to try to scrub his brain, and and you know, so he wouldn't talk or something. It, like it, it was something along those lines. It was pretty scary stuff. Oh yeah, I mean, we're going to get into it tonight, so I don't want to get into it too much now, right? Because right. it'll wreck it for when he's on. But I, I can tell you that. He's had over 30 years of being taught by aliens and communicating with them. So, I mean, we're going to be talking about that. I, I tell you, his book, you know, is not a thick book this time. But I tell you, it's a very good read. I'm, I'm the fourth way into it. And I just found myself so intrigued. Again, you can probably find it on Amazon. It's called A New World by Whitney Springer. Springer. <laughs> Game. Anyway, uh, it's going to be an interesting show to hear with him tonight. Yeah, 30 years, that's a lot of stuff. And like I say, we just mentioned a couple of things. So right. <laughs> just think about all the stuff that he that he could talk about that maybe nobody's ever heard before. So, yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and I said his last name wrong. It's Striber. And, and, and it's... So Strieber, Strieber, yeah, I'll get it right before he's on. <laughs> that's the last thing I want to do is mess that up when he's on. But you know what? And then we have another great guest, uh, you know, to the last hour of the show tonight. So we're going to be talking about, you know, conspiracies, UFOs, aliens, uh, implants, all that stuff here tonight. That sounds like uh, these are some serious issues that it's an underlying uh, development going on out there in the the, uh, public that they don't even realize it. You know, I, I was just thinking today, I wonder when you walk down the street, what's the odds are, you know, so many people out of 100 might have an implant or have been abducted or seen a UFO or something. It just makes me think. Oh, there's a lot of people they don't want to talk about. it. Well, in California today, well, again, another bear locked himself in a car. 
This happened three hours ago. Well, now what is going on with bears? They're one they're breaking into people's houses, going to the refrigerator, ripping them off for beer and getting drunk and passing out. Could you imagine coming home and there's a, you know, a refrigerator in your garage and you have your case of beer there stashed nice and cold. You come home and you see 24 empty cans laying around on your garage floor and here's a pass out bear. I don't know. Yeah, there's nothing worse than a drunken beer bear. Let me tell you, you got a beer bear going on. Yeah, that's not one bear you want to mess with. And then these bears. Like you said, there's a whole rash of them. I, I don't know if they're standing up, uniting, striking, or, or what's going on, but they are sure doing a lot of house invasions lately. Oh, yeah. And then, can you imagine you're out in the ocean and you're a researcher for sharks <laughs> and a giant white shark jumps into your ship? <laughs> it jumped up on the, on the boat? Is that yeah, what yeah, that's what happened. Wow. Yeah, that would, they're dangerous because uh, not just to bite you, their teeth so sharp, if you just touch them, it cuts you like a razor blade. So, yeah, that would be, I wonder if the people jumped off the boat once the shark's on the boat. That's well, it, was not, it wasn't a little boat. It was a big research boat. But, I mean, the back deck of it is low enough. So, you know, it was interesting. They they shown a picture. But, you know, a publisher in Alaska that publishes a newspaper is giving it away a lucky person who is well has the talent to be an editor so if you want to relocate to a town in uh, with a small population and actually even oversee the uh, population of that small town you can get a hold of this publisher and uh, who knows you could be writing uh, and you know reporting and publishing your own newspaper I wonder what the population is. It doesn't say. It says small community. Hey, maybe it's only a couple hundred people. But, hey, it's a hobby, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of a sign of the uh, times between newspapers and, and the mailing system. They're almost going to be obsolete here one of these days, I think. Well, the post office is the way they're going. You know, I, I, I hate to say it. About the only people who use the post office now is <laughs> bill collectors. I, I tell you that. And getting bills. You certainly don't get love letters. You don't get regular mail anymore. You just get junk mail and bills. And that's it's enough because, you know, it's really affecting the post office for, you know, making a revenue. I mean, they are going in the hole big time each year. And let's face it, I mean, why would you want to take the time and write a letter to somebody when you just go on there and email it? Yeah, or pick up a phone. I don't know, but yeah, you, it's a good point. You, it's not like it was, think about it, in the 1940s, we probably had way less than half the world population, but I bet we had way more of the double the, of the use of the postal system than we do today. It's just a sign of the times, technology, and it's just pretty much phasing it out. I mean, really. Well, you know what I do? Everything I have, you know, like one of my Harley payments, my car payment, all this stuff, you know, they keep saying, do you want to opt off for, you know, opt out of getting a paper statement? And, the, mm-hmm. you know, I go, no. And they, they even will call me up and say, you know, you can just, we can do this all online. We'll send you an email each month. I don't want to do that because, you know, I'm doing my part to help support the post office. Yeah, you know, if, if too many people are opting out to get this paper mail, and I can see the companies because it saves them money not having to send it out. But you know, again, if they send it out, it gives more money for the post office. 
yeah, and, and it's not just that. There's a lot of different uh, businesses or corporations doing it. Even the DMVs, they will charge you extra if you go in there in person. That's crazy. It's bizarre. They want you to do everything online anymore. It's it's like, and you know that's a real challenge to me. Who who's somebody that's totally computer illiterate? So it's a challenge for me. I don't know. Did you hear in the news there was two bucks uh, tied together with their horns, and the only way they could separate them was they had to take a saw to them. Oh my. I hope they cut the horns and not not the heads off. I I think they they from what I I'm looking at the picture they had to cut the horns to, to you know get them out to being locked. Yeah, that reminds me about thirty years ago um, here where I live is some of the biggest tri county where I in counties I live is the most white tailed deer in the whole state here where I live populations and uh, about thirty years ago a guy came across and he found three. Three bucks that were locked together and they couldn't get unlocked. They, end, they eventually end up dying. You know, I don't, I, you know, I don't know about exhaustion or starvation or whatever, but they died and they all they were hooked up and they had great big racks too. But that was a shame. But yeah, that happens. Oh yeah, it does. And you know what? In Japan, you can get a luscious hotel room for a buck, but there is a catch. What's the luscious? <laughs> well, the cat, well, I mean, this is like a penthouse. But you know what? The catch is, and why it's only a buck? Because you're going to be on live stream at all times and all places in that room. <laughs> it's only a buck? I thought he was going to say it's going to be like, you know, a couple hundred people in there sleeping with No, one dollar a night in a penthouse. Hotel. But you're on... You're on film all, all the time. You're going to be streaming live on the internet. No, that's a new concept. That's something like that. A couple of movies like Ed TV or something. Yeah, that's strange. Well, you, what was that? <laughs> Big Brother, you know, where they did the filming, you know, they walked around and, you know, whatever. Could you imagine? I mean, you're going in the bathroom, the shower, everywhere. You're going to be uh, videoed and, and sent out. Yeah, probably Japan. They would probably get cameras in here. I know the Big Brother. They don't do it in the bathroom and stuff. But here, they, Japan, they probably do. They do. They said it in all rooms. <laughs> so they should be paying you, not where you. Hey, you get this luxury, you know, hotel room for a dollar. They should be paying you, you know, a couple hundred bucks or whatever yen or whatever. Because you know, what? Let's say you're a married couple and you 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 know go in there. Oh, uh, only a dollar. Look how much we save, honey. Not realizing everything they do in that room is going to be going over to the world to watch. Yeah, next thing you know, you're going to be an international YouTube star somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Unbeknownst to you. Hey, did you know Kathy had a scar there? No, anyway, yeah, that's the bad part of it. Or <laughs> the husband says, honey, smile, and remember, hit the like and subscribe button. <laughs> oh, yeah. And again in Florida, guy gets in his car. He's driving on the road, and then all of a sudden coming over his seat, over his shoulder is a large python. Oh, that, I am telling you, I, what don't I talk about this every other day? Florida and them pythons, they're, they're regular species now, and they're evasive. And, it, you know, pythons can get up in the car so easy. But just think about that. Imagine driving down the road there, Gary, and you got a python that's creeping up around your neck. 
it just it, if you spotted it, you probably get scared and end up wrecking if it didn't get a hold of you. Well, how many people, honestly, if I'm driving and concentrate on driving and all of a sudden there's some slimy snake is going over my shoulder, it's huge. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. Either I'm going to slam the brakes on, there's going to be a pile up on the road that way, or I'm going to drive off the road and boom, the car catches on fire and I'm gone. And here's the thing about those pythons, especially, you know, if it's 10, 15 foot python or bigger, they're going to bite you right in the neck, and you can't get that off. And once it bites you, it's going to wrap around your head and neck, and you're a goner. You pretty much can't get that off unless you got somebody to help you. I mean, really. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the truth. I don't know. It seems like, it. you know, every day you look at the odd and crazy news, it's always some something about snakes in Florida and, and alligators and stuff like that. It's, it's crazy. I would never move there. Where you, you go there to retire. <laughs> Who would want to go there if you came and put your foot in the canal because you're worried about, you know, somebody taking it off? You go, you know, out in your backyard, you could have a python there. It decides, oh, you look tasty. You know, it, it, this is like, it was a, a story about, oh, two, three months ago. A, a guy and his wife were always feeding their python, you know, mice and rats. And what happened yeah. is, evidently, one of the of the two, I, I'm not going to blame the guy or the woman, didn't wash good and get the smell off of, you know, of the um, rodent off their hands. And so their friendly pet that they love so much, oh, decided, hey, I'm going to eat you. Mm-hmm. Because it yeah. smelled like a rodent, so. Right. And, and, and again, their teeth are faced backwards. So when they bite you, they're almost pretty much impossible to get off. I mean, you really got to pry and and push in a certain way to get them out of you because they hook into you. And there's hundreds of them. It's not like there's two or three. And they really, they can get deep, especially the bigger the snake, the bigger the teeth. So they're no joke. No, they're not. And that's what you got to watch out for. So yeah, I don't know. I like it where I'm at. The only thing I have to worry about is spiders. Yeah, there's a bunch of those here, too, and um, they even, uh, Rattlesnake was seen here, and they're not even native here, but I guess they are now, but, but um, yeah, them take on snakes. I, I climbed down a high wall one time, got clear at the bottom, there was a copperhead snake sitting. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I ready to bite. We started to climb all the way back up this high wall. It's so frustrating. But Florida's got all them, you know, the people's pets. They come up missing. you got to be careful with your little kids playing out in the yard now. Oh, yeah. 
Well, that's why, again, I like wearing a hat. I don't have to worry about that stuff. This, you know, maybe wake up with a big spider bite and your face swollen up for a week or two. But that's <laughs> better than, you know, the other way, I guess. It's better going to a restaurant and, and um, having a bad experience. Yeah. Like, the what was it that yesterday where a guy, you know, uh, went into a restaurant, sat down on the commode. And uh, a python decided to, about the same time to come out of the sewer and come up through the toilet. Yeah, well, you know what? Something was oh. dangling, and the snake saw it and went for it. Yeah, and that was in Florida, too. I mean, there's so many reports of these angry pythons, um, you know, attacking and biting people. It's, ugh. But that would be awful. They, I got to tell you, I would be scarred for life, not just physically, but mentally, if that happened to me. Yeah, and you'd be talking a higher pitch, too, wouldn't you? <laughs> Probably, because I, I, I've i seen what their teeth can do to a person's arm, and that's a lot softer skin, so to speak, with less muscle. So it's a wonder he didn't get turned into a steer, so to speak. I mean, de- whatever you call it, deballed or testicle. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, as long as it's somebody else and not me. <laughs> but you know what? The, 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 I was reading uh, on the news yesterday that Florida really has a major problem. When you get out towards the glades, even in some of the cities around there, of pythons, they're everywhere, huge. And we're not talking little ones, and they got a bounty on them. So, I mean, you know, it's, I bet you, 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 if you had property there, and if you walked around, you're going to see these things. It's, it's it's funny how it just, they just keep tripling and tripling, and, and you know, one becomes 10, becomes 20, and it just keeps growing. Yeah, well, within the last 10 years, we've had they've had such a ratio of hurricanes, and that has um, re- um, released a bunch of them from people that owned them or was from the zoos and private collectors and these other places. Plus, people, th- you know, they get tired of them. They just throw them out in the wild. And, you know, here we go, over a few years of that, and now you've got several generations that that are breeding. You've got breeding stock out there. You can go down them roads at night. That's how they catch them mostly. They go because they they go on the roads. They come and see them crossing the roads or along the road. And yeah, they want you to to um, pretty much kill them or, or do whatever because it, it's a nuisance. It's it's an invasive species. Oh yeah, and the problem is, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. But maybe we don't have to worry about it because of that global warming. You know, that, uh, you know, it's going to probably be underwater eventually in the next 10, 15 years. Well, supposedly by 20, 40, or 50, the way things are going, um, excuse me, the water level is going to go up another 20 meters or so. So I can tell you this much. There's no basements in Florida for a reason because you dig a big enough hole and you're going to hit water. Oh, yeah. So anyway, we got to go on break. We'll be back in three and a half minutes. You're listening to James Christbaum out there. You're listening to me, Gary, on Night Dreams Talk Radio. So we'll be back. I just can't wait till we get Whitley on and talking about his book, A New World, uh, here in about a half an hour. So stay tuned.
You're listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio After Dark with our host, Gary Anderson. And that is me. Well, I'm waiting about a half an hour and we'll have Whitley on and we're going to have a great show talking about his new book, A New World. You know what? I'm just curious. Have any of you ever been abducted or had an implant? If you have, you can certainly get a hold of me at nightdreamstalkradio at gmail.com. Also, check out our website at www.nightdreamstalkradio.com. If you go on the top of the webpage, it's a live link. You hit it, it'll run up to the player. And at the player, you can actually, when we go live, it goes live. Or you can listen to hundreds of previous shows for free. Also, check out our store. We got some cool t-shirts. You could, you know, help support our show. And you can go around to the supermarket and say, hey, you listen to Night Dreams Talk Radio after dark. James, James, James. So, have you done anything exciting today, my man? Um, basically, just working in the studio, working on uh, a bunch of news stories, trying to get some decent ones and stuff. And um seen a couple of funny things about the... I had to get that flat earth one in there because I know you'd appreciate that one. And uh, there was a picture where with her. Too bad you, people couldn't see it, but I think I shared it with you. There was kind of comical. Yeah, you mean where the Earth is like a little flat thing? Yeah, yeah. They showed a model of the whole uh, solar system. They're all round, but the Earth. <laughs> yeah, the Earth is the only one that's flat. <laughs> it's, yeah, that slogan was this is a little awkward. <laughs> but you know, because of politics lately, we're on the bottom side. We're only flat on the bottom, right? But again, like but what is bottom? I mean, how do you know which is bottom or top? See, if you were coming from that direction, we'd be on top. If you're coming from that direction, we'd be on top. So I don't know which way. It just all depends on which direction you're coming from. That's a very good, legit point. I have to agree with you on that one. Um, yeah. And, and you know, like somebody else said, uh, if it was flat, the cat would knock everybody off the, off the edge of it. <laughs> Now, can you imagine you're just going to fight with your wife and you walk off the end of the, the planet and where would you go to? Well, maybe, that's what maybe that's where these 30 to 50,000 people a year are vanishing. They're walking off the planet. Well, and, yeah, and plus, you know, uh, what, 500 years ago or, whatever, or close to it, they're. The Italians and all, well, everybody thought the earth was flat. They told Columbus, it's flat. You're going to fall off the edge, man. Don't do it. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> that's what they was telling them. Well, that's a good possibility. So any any good, exciting things about UFOs or abductions you came across lately you can share with the listeners? Hmm. You know, I always come across some stuff. Let's see. I do got some stuff. What was that? was something that came in recently. What the heck was it? Uh, yeah, there's a couple. St- well, there's a I, there's a story. I got a friend who lives in the Orient, and uh, I haven't got the pictures yet. But he's a he's a bird watcher, and uh, of course, I got my um, eyes out there. Anybody sees cryptids or UFOs or spirits, whatever, uh, and you want to talk about it or share something information, contact me. Anyway, he's a friend of mine. He contacted me, and he was taking. He's a bird watcher. And that's what he does. Fantastic pictures of these birds, rare birds and stuff. But there was a storm, a, a volcano over there and somewhere in the Orient where he lives, and he was filming it. Because, you know, when the volcano was a little active, and sometimes with storms, when they're active, there's a lot of lightning and electrical stuff around the volcanoes. And he was, fil- you know, taking pictures of that. 
and he didn't take nothing of it. And, you know, he develops all his pictures and stuff, and he's looking, and he's got UFO pictures of, you know, several pictures with UFO, with the uh, UFO in it. So that was kind of intriguing, waiting to look at that when it comes around. Interesting. That's going to be, yeah, that's going to be good. That's, that is going to be good. There's been all kinds of reports coming in. Jeez. Uh, you know, you mentioned it the other day. There's been another thing that came in that I thought was bizarre. I don't know if you've seen this yet. And it was, I think it was in China. The woman was filming this fish. Looks like a goldfish, but the fish has got a face of a human being. Did you see that video? Oh, you mean what it was like at a pond or a lake or something that comes swimming up? And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is bizarre. I didn't know what to make it. I haven't had to ask you that several times if you've seen that video yet. Oh, yeah. I, I don't. I, to me, it almost looks fake, though. You know, I've seen several videos of different angles, and I don't think it's fake. I think it's just, I think it's more the way the markings of the fish is and kind of the lighting, it kind of makes it look like a face. You know, it's not, but uh, either way, it's bizarre. It it was like just weird. It really does look like a face of a human on it, you know? Well, I, I tell you one thing. I would certainly never want to eat a fish that looks like my Aunt Bertha. I'm telling you that. Me neither. Now, there was another, um, can't show the picture, but it's a really fascinating picture. It looks like a... Uh... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Black Triangle. And this came in just a couple weeks ago. Well, not even about a week ago. But the report just finally, you know, hit the news or whatever. But, and this was in, it was, this was in Philadelphia, a sky over Philadelphia. Matter of fact, it was surrounded by a bright orange light. Previously, this mysterious phenomenon has already been seen in different parts of the world. And, and it has, it's like, uh, it's like a black triangle, but there's some kind of lighting behind it. It's in the sky. I mean, it's a very fascinating looking picture. And it says, could it be some kind of alien craft or man-made craft or one of ours? Who knows? We don't know. And some of the people suggested that the pyramid-shaped object may have actually been a secret triangular craft like the TR-3B. And there's been a lot of people speculating on that also. At the same time, almost all of the users agreed that this is a UFO of a triangular shape and its orange-red tint creates the illusion a fire around an object, and it does kind of look like it. The picture look, I think it's the UFO lights on the back side of it, kind of lights up in the dark sky, and you can definitely see the silhouette of the, uh, like a triangle UFO. It's pretty intriguing picture. Oh, that's interesting. So, and he's, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and, you know, that report, 
that's not a one of like I, there's been so many reports like that there, i've had reports of that same kind of craft and scenario in new jersey uh wisconsin illinois texas um i think even in your state so that's it's it it's all around yeah, uh, arizona also so that, that that shape and that kind of scenario has been popping up all over and again the people you know they always say the same thing no sound at all no sound well that i know from my uh situation you know i didn't hear anything and terry lovelace said the same thing well actually terry lovelace said the opposite that they heard that hammering noise you know like a old uh, not a steam locomotive but you know those uh, locomotives you know the noise they make when they're sitting on the track Mm-hmm. That's a that's a, what the noise that the UFO made uh, with him. Yeah. Now, now he did say that. However, um, in the first part when it was there, they didn't hear nothing. No. But it was after after it landed, it made the noise. Yeah. So that I don't know what that means. Maybe it's like I don't down. I don't. It's very interesting that that happened. But uh, you know, there's another scenario there that he touched on that is that runs in a pattern, and it's when you don't hear no animals or no crickets, no no insects. They just stop, and you feel that stillness. These are red flags. Like he said, why didn't we run or get in a car? You know, and it, and, it, and he even kind of under the theory too that maybe they putting some kind of waves out that make you um, falsely think it's okay not to run. You know, I don't know. I. I don't know. Have you had any close friends that actually claimed that they were abducted or, or you know, seen a UFO? Other and you saw one here too, like what last summer or something like that. I, I did in July. I was just walking uptown, middle of July. It's hot out, broad daylight, and something just told me to look up. I looked up, and there it was—a cigar shaped UFO. And I'm right in the middle of town. I'm looking, but it was real high. But for as high as it was. It was really moving extremely fast, and for as high up as it was, you know, visually, this this craft had to have some size to it, being a cigar-shaped. It was weird. I was in such awe of it, I didn't even think to video it. No. But I did get, get, I did get a few pictures, duh. <laughs> yeah, would have been nice if you would have got a video of it, you know that. I know, but it, it and we touched on it before, sometimes, it, you know, I was such shock. You know, I really was. I was like, am I really seeing this? And I was. And, you know, the other weird part about this that UFO that I saw, I, I don't know, maybe it was one of ours. I don't know. I can't say. I just do, I know this much. When they went behind a little cloud, it never came out of that cloud. And it was moving, like, really fast. And I thought that was weird. Now, I don't know if it took a, a left-hand turn and just, you know, the direction it went was it just happened to have the cloud between it and me. I don't know. I just know that it never came out. I thought that was strange. Yeah. And that, is that the only time you've actually seen a UFO? No, I seen another one. I was about six or seven years old, and I didn't really know what UFOs were. But I knew what planes were, you know, and I seen them all the time. I was playing outside, and um, and I'm, I look up, and this was a real low flying, and we was living kind of in the country, and it was probably, oh, probably less than a thousand feet up near, and it was your classic disc shape, maybe forty, fifty feet across, not very big, and it was it was going real. I mean, it was going so slow. That if it was one of our crafts back in the early seventies, it would have fell out of the sky. Okay, so 
I remember I went in the house. I told my mother, I said, there's a weird plane out here. <laughs> she she just wouldn't hear it. You know, she wouldn't believe it. She was like, let, let it, I don't want to hear it, you know, or whatever. And I, I forget what I called it. I didn't even know what the word flying saucer was back then. I was only like six, you know. But I remember I went back out, and it, it just slowly took off. But that was weird. I don't, I don't remember having no missing time or anything, but that was the only other time. And, again, I don't even know what it, you know, who knows what that was. Interesting. <laughs> I yeah, don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, things like, you know, I still, you know, I've been thinking over and digesting what Terry Lovelace had to say. Oh, I've been blown away since I first caught just 15 minutes of a story almost a month ago now when I, I was like, wow, because, you know, the real scary part of that story, too, is his own um, factions within the military that he was in the military came to his you know, hospital bed, not to see, hey, how are you? Call knuckleheads and give them truth serum and pump them up with that to get, to find out what they, what they saw and make sure they didn't take no pictures. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, the, 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 the thing, too, I think it, he, the way it sounded like with Terry Lovelace, he was planning to stay in the military a lot longer than he did. I think after the encounter, what he saw, and then what he had to go through was enough where I think it um, it caused him not to uh, not to want to stay in it. Oh, definitely. I think for sure that he was probably a little disgruntled. I mean, I can't blame him. I mean, really, for what his own government basically did to him. I, I mean, yeah, and I think he, I was under kind of an impression also that yeah, he wanted to be in there a lot longer than he was and. I mean, look at the ordeal. He, he didn't just go through an ordeal with these daggone aliens. He went through an ordeal with the, um, whatever it was, the secret branch of the military or whatever. So that's, that's very frustrating stuff. I mean, he, he was in a vicious circle. What do you do? You say something, you don't say something. It's not like they came forward. The the secret military there came to him. Yeah, but they, yeah. They, they, what they wanted him to do is basically admit that he didn't see one. That that's the part you know I didn't like, but I guess you know what they do is they try brainwashing you, and evidently too, when that doesn't work, they inject something into you, you know, to to find out exactly what you went through, and then they try to convince you you never saw it. Yeah, and that's boy, I got to tell you, just that just has rotten, <laughs> rotten all over it, negative tones on on all ends of it. Gee, yeah, I don't like that at all. Mm -mm. No, I don't know. Uh, And, you know, um, you know, all them reports. Remember, I was reporting from lawn there, all them reports from that cryptids from uh, Rosemont area. They're still getting sightings in that area. Still of the Mothman type wing humanoid stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like when we had Joe on last night, you know, Mothman is appearing more and more all over the country. You know, before it was only certain areas, but now it seems to be like in Texas, really heavy. Uh, there was a report here about a week ago in Oregon that they somebody saw, claimed they saw a Mothman. I, I, I don't know. But, you know, after you sent that picture of that bat to me, too, you know, that, that bat probably was about, about three feet long. Yeah, and you know, there's another owl. Um, what the heck is the name of this owl? I can't think of the name of this owl, but it's big and it's got red eyes. And a lot of people report 
stuff that looks kind of like an owl with red eyes, and I, I could see how it could be misidentified easily, easily in that bat. My goodness, these things are huge. Uh, and, and you know, there's another, there's an eagle, a harpy eagle that is, my God, massively giant. It's not native to this country, but neither are pythons, like I've been saying. Who's to say that one's uh, got loose from a storm or whatever's out in the wild now, and people see it? I could definitely see how you'd think, my goodness, is, is that a, a mothman or what is it? Well, I do. <laughs> As long as I don't want to, you know, I, I wouldn't want to run across one. But, you know, again, you know, I was looking at that picture of that bat. I, I swear to God, it does have kind of a dog-looking face. It, 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 and it looks friendly. It does. It's got, you know, it's not your normal bat. It's, it's got, like, hair on it. You know what I mean? Like, hair like a dog almost, like fur. It's not, you know, most bats are just... um I forget the word, just like skin, basically. But this bat's not. It's got like a long snout. I mean, it looks like a dog, like a terrier almost. Yeah. Well, maybe a bat got ambitious at one point. <laughs> maybe. Maybe, and, you know, maybe uh, it's the aliens cross-changing uh, the DNA just to see what the results were. I, I, again, I, I, I'm still kind of puzzled. And maybe... Whitley can kind of explain some of this to me. I, I, all these years that we've been visited, now in his new book, he claims now that he understands they're kind of trying to teach us stuff slowly. And that's what I want to find out tonight because I am so confused with what is going on. Because again, so many people claim that they... They were treated so poorly when they were abducted and, and abused and, uh, you know, subject to such horrendous type of experiments. It, it just makes me wonder what is going on. Well, there's there's an X factor with that, number one. And and honestly, and this was in the mid, yeah, mid-90s sometimes, so roughly 25 years, give or take a couple years. I did, in my research and stuff, clandestine cloak and dagger stuff I was doing, I did see a, a document. I don't know if it, was, it it really looked legit to me. If it was fake, it was a really good fake. And on this document, it listed, government document, that they our government knew of 168 different species or races of aliens, whatever you want to describe it. I think they said races that they knew of. Now, this was 20-some years ago. Now, even with that said, um, let's just say there's maybe 10 coming here, coming and going. They all have their own agendas. There's probably good ones and bad ones, and most of them, I don't care how you church it up. If they're taking you against your will and doing jiggy stuff with you and putting you back and, and scramming your brain and stuff, that's just, it's just got negative overtones to it. Especially like the one that told Terry what that said, what are you yelling about? It don't hurt you. Well, it does hurt, and they're putting implants in you. Imagine if I ducted you and brought you somewhere and, and, did some crazy stuff to you and messed with your brain and put some kind of implant in you. And, and and I was nice enough to let you go back home instead of keeping you for a meal. I mean, these are all just, I, it just rubs me the wrong way. Well, it, it does me too. So, I mean, that's the part it really scares me. And I also think that these 
beings, I think they try to, I don't know if the word is brainwashing or if they can implant visions or false memories where they, they make you think it's okay, where you pretty much come over to, well, like Terry said, the Stockholm Syndrome almost, you know, and because I have seen, especially over a period of time where people, when they first realize that they were like really upset until they get to the point where they're almost lethargic and, and when they say it, and they say, well, it's okay. It's, it just, I can see the change, and it's not a positive change. It's not like, you know, it's okay, they're going to help us. And no, it's, 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 there's an underlying negative there. I can feel it. Yeah, well, a lot of people are feeling that that's the whole problem. Yeah, I, and, and the people are, are coming out right and left. There's so many people now claiming that they're being abducted. It's not like this a few people. It's like every week there's a bunch of new people saying the, the, the same thing, that they were abducted. It's, it's getting to the point where I get emails every day from people saying, you know, I was abducted in 1997 or I was abducted in 2004. It, right. And, and, you know, it's like an iceberg effect. All the ones that come forward, who knows how many that aren't, like just like the hidden iceberg under the water. Who knows how many people have had experiences that won't come forward because of different reasons. Maybe uh, be- Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Being afraid to be uh, scorned or shamed or whatever the reason. It, it, there's a whole gamut of reasons why they might not come forward. But you know there's a bunch of them like that also. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? We're just a few minutes away from, you know, Whitney will be on at uh, 710. And uh, I've been waiting for weeks to get him on. I mean, certainly. I, I've just been so excited it's like the number one guest in abduction cases ever. I, I'm telling you, I, I'm sitting here looking at his first book ever. I remember it's the first edition, 1987 or 88, whenever it came out. And I uh, paid $5 for it when it came out back in, well, 30 years ago. Over, a little over 30 years. And that was weird because I was living in Upper State New York at the time. And I, and I'm reading where he was living. I'm like, well, that really sent shivers up my spine, I got to tell you. Yeah. So yeah. we got, yeah, we got news coming up here in a few minutes. Is it going to be more exciting news too? Oh, I've got some stuff. You know, I do. And you know, a lot of people talk about Wright Patterson uh, Air Force Base. You know, I was I went there one time to kind of <laughs> under the, the guise of fishing, <laughs> and I was kind of nosing around. And you know, you can't. This was back probably about 
year 2000 or somewhere around there. But um, even back then, you couldn't – if you looked too long in one spot, they were all over. They were like – they're on it over there. You know, there's been rumors there of hangar, uh, hangar 19 or 18 or whatever, and underground bunkers and all kind of stuff there at Bright Pat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on over there. I, there just is. You know, there's been a lot of sightings in, in that Dayton, Ohio area, and uh, and nobody's ever really come forward. I think that one, there was a big, it was a big case. I can't think of the guy's name now, but... Anyway, there's been a lot of sightings and stuff over there. And Whitley, uh, yeah, my goodness. That poor guy's been through it. Man, oh, man, you imagine he's got 30 years of stuff to talk about. Because that's another pattern. These these abductees, um, it's, most of the time it's not a one-of. It's usually throughout your lifetime periodically. Yeah, that's the problem. You know, we've had guests on that their first abduction when they were a young kid, like seven or eight years old. And then, you know, it kept on going all through, you know, as they were growing up. And then now they're in their 50s and 60s and they're still getting abducted. As, you know, like Terry Lovelace said, you know, he as a a lot of the um, abductees claim they they keep guns next to their bed because they don't want to go through it again and that's the scary part it is you know i knew a guy he's a friend of mine that lived over in uh, on the east coast there and he was abducted and his brother and they were abducted throughout the years i remember telling me their stories their stories on bone chilling and you know even this was back i haven't seen them since the late 90s since i moved from the east coast but you know, they would tell me the same thing, and it kind of put a light bulb off my head. They they told me even then they sleep with a they had a revolver and a flashlight right next to them when they went to bed every night. Well, I same thing. Yeah, I get that's yeah. the whole problem. Well, let's go on break, and then after the break, uh, you'll be uh, doing the news, or actually right after the uh, uh, commercial break, and then we'll uh, get a hold of Whitley, and we'll be doing some talking so we'll be back uh in about uh two and a half three minutes and then we'll have the uh, the earth news with james and then we'll be on with whitney right after that so stay tuned
all part of a deception. It's a puppet master's tool. And I see those craft shut down the saddles from ten miles away. And there ain't nothing that the Pentagon can do. They can't make them go away. Talk Radio After Dark wants to give a big shout out to all the truckers that listen to our show. Night Dreams Talk Radio Network brings you the world paranormal news with James Creechbaum. Now, the latest news. I'm J- I'm James Creesbaum with the Paranormal World News. And uh, Egypt, it hints of a mummified lion discovery. Archaeologists in Egypt have discovered the mummy of a very large animal, most likely a lion or lioness. The Ministry of Antiquities reported on Monday that the mummy, which is much larger than most, was unearthed in Sakura, a vast ancient burial ground south of Cairo that once served as the necropolis for the ancient Egyptian capital of Memphis. It is the home of numerous structures, including the world-famous Step Pyramid of the Dehoser. According to the ministry, it is still not completely clear that the mummy is that of a lion, however. All should be revealed when radar scans are undertaken over the next few days. A press conference is expected next week with the full details of this, the uh, discovery. While cat mummies were very common in ancient Egypt, lion mummies were much rare. The people of the time worshipped domestic cats as the living incarnation of the half-feline, half-woman goddess Bastet. So it is likely that lions and other large cat species would have been especially revered. The first example of a lion mummy, which was preserved as a skeleton, was found back in 2004. And it turned out to be one of the largest lions known to science. Also, Bob Lazar. Is this the real reason the FBI raided Bob Lazar? Newly released documents have shed light on why the alleged former Area 51 worker was raided last year. Widely attributed with bringing 
the secretive test facility into the limelight, the 60-year-old made headlines three decades ago when he revealed that he had worked with captured extraterrestrial technology during his time at S-4, a site situated near Area 51 between 1988 and 1989. An alleged witness to captured alien saucers, Lazar, claimed to have intimate knowledge of that what powered them, element 115, a chemical element with exotic properties. In 2018, his claims became the topic of the documentary Bob Lazar Area 51 and Flying Saucers, which introduced a whole new generation to his remarkable story. During filming of the documentary, however, his, his firm, uh, which I'm not even going to say, was the subject of a raid by the FBI and local police leading to speculation that authorities had been attempting to locate samples of Element 115 that Lazar may have acquired during his time at Area 51. Lazar himself had discussed such possibilities with the documentary team that very day before the raid occurred, and he has long maintained that he has been under ongoing government surveillance. But was this really the purpose of the raid, or were there authorities? War authorities looking for something else. Now, according to reports written by Michigan State Police Sergeant Detective, the search was actually related to an investigation into the death of a 31-year-old person who was believed to have been poisoned by thelium sulfate, a highly toxic substance. While Lazar himself is not a suspect in the case, it is understood that the raid was designed to determine who may have previously purchased thelium from the United Nuclear Scientific. Exactly why authorities felt it necessary to raid his home, as well, as however, as well, however, remains unclear, and Lazar remains adamant that the search had nothing at all to do with murder investigation. None of the agents, officers, were the least bit interested in the thelium, he said. Now, there is life on Mars. An, an entomologist has provided evidence. An entomologist professor at Ohio University states that photos taken on Mars show real alien insects, reports EurekaAlert.org. The extraordinary claim came, comes from Dr. William Rome Mosers, courtesy an entomologist who has been closely observing photographs taken by NASA's Mars rovers for several years. Three photos he claims show examples of the red planet's insect-like forms of life. His findings were presented earlier today at a national meeting of the Anthropological Society of America in St. Louis, Missouri, along with anointed photographs of these alleged creatures. There has been and still is life on Mars, he said. There is apparent diversity among the Martian insect-like fauna, which display many features similar to terrain insects that are interpreted as advanced groups. For example, the presence of wings, wing flexion, agile gliding flight, and variously structured leg elements. Once a clear image of the given form was identified and described, it was useful in facilitating recognition of other less clear but nonetheless valid images of the same basic form. Next news break. Top of the hour. You're listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio After Dark with our host, Gary Anderson. Hey, 
that is me. Well, I hope everybody's been having a cracking day because I sure have. It's been one day that, well, I can tell you, it started out great, got worse, then got great, got bad, got great. Ah, what can I say? Well, I gave my wife money to go Christmas shopping this weekend. I hope she doesn't buy the stores out. I know the economy is starting to slip, but, you know, maybe this year people aren't going to spend as much money because the tariffs is causing. Last year they had great deals like on TVs and electronics, and it seems like the prices are quite a bit higher. Have you noticed that at all, James? I have, you know, it's not as bad in the Midwest, but I'm sure it's worse where you're at on the West Coast or even East Coast. But yes, I have noticed that prices are just, you never know. They're up and up and up. And I don't know how people, I don't know how people make, pay their bills anymore. I don't know. Our president's about ready to slap more tariffs on uh, China, bigger than ever. I I thought what he was saying a couple weeks ago, that he was close to signing the deal, but I've been hearing that. Well, we're close to signing a deal quite often, and it has never, you know. uh... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, materialized. <laughs> that's, the, that's a good one. The, the, um, yeah, the deal. That's a, that's his famous one-liner, I think. The what's it called? Art of the deal. There you go. Art of the deal. Yeah, I don't know. As good as car salesman, you know. I when I was a kid, my dad one time went up to a Chrysler dealer, and this is when he was buying his '63 Valiant, and new. That tells you how many years ago that was, and wow, what my age roughly was. <laughs> I remember to this day the salesman was telling my dad, you know, if you buy the '63 Valiant. It's so perfectly balanced that you could jack it up, take a wheel off, and unjack it, and the car will just stay there in perfect balance. Oh, my goodness. And while my dad got it, bought it, tried it, it didn't work. Yeah, I was going to say that I wouldn't want to be under it when he did that because I wouldn't trust that not for a minute. That's That's comical. Yeah. And if you work on your car, please make sure you if you if you get underneath your car, block it. Don't depend on a jack. You know, my dad, when I was a young kid, I was playing around with my fifty seven Ford uh and I remember, you know, it was in the backyard, so it was not on concrete, thank God. You know, my dad hammered, always block it, block it, block it. Ah, I don't need to block it. My dad wasn't home, nobody was home. I, you know, I jacked up and I figured all I'm going to do is just drain the oil. And wouldn't you know it, the jack slipped. And and the only thing it kept my head from looking like a pancake is because the the soil was kind of damp. 
and it was the backyard. And when I know when we planted the uh, grass, my dad put out a lot of sand mixed in with the soil. So it was kind of spongy. If that would have been a hard pack, I, I wouldn't be talking on the radio now. So I always tell people, you know, if you're going to work on your car, block it up and make sure, you know, you got a block behind the rear wheel. You don't want to be one of these people that get, oops, and that's it. Right. You know, it's funny. I had a 70 Chevelle in the, the rear ends of, when I was teenager there. And my dad always said, you had, you know, the old jacks that were tall and you had to crank them. Uh-huh. And the back back ends are high. He'd say, don't stand behind that jack or kick out. Sure enough, that one day one that kicked out and it stuck right in the side of a trailer. <laughs> I was like, God, that would have killed me. Yeah, it would have. Now, let's see. We're getting, trying to get Whitley on the phone here. So we're going to get him on. And you're listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio After Dark. This is Gary. Hello. Hi, Whitley. How you doing? This is Gary on Night Dreams Talk Radio After Dark. How's your day going, my friend? Oh, fine, fine. Ah, well, anyway, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Then we'll get into your book and uh, your abduction case uh, or many abductions, and we'll get into it. Okay, um, my name is Whitley Strieber. I have a new book out called A New World. I had a close encounter experience in 1985. I wrote a book about it called Communion. Then it continued, and I wrote two more books called Transformation and then Breakthrough, and then it it trailed off, and I wrote about the experience in different ways over the years. But uh, then in 2015, it started again, and the new book, A New World, is the result of what's happened since 2015. How Now, did you have a break of uh, so many years between what was going on, or was it going on a regular basis? I mean, and if you had a no, break... No, it, it, it went on for on a regular basis to the extent that it was obvious enough what was going on for about three or four years after I published Communion. That's why I published the two follow-on books. But then it it was not, it happened from time to time, but not to that extent. And I would write journal entries on my blogs on my website about that, about it, when, when things happened. And one or two things, a big incident happened in uh, 1998 that wasn't seemingly alien-related, because it was a, uh, a conversation with a man who had some very extraordinary and unusual ideas. I published a book about that called The Key, which is a transcript, basically, of our conversation. And then uh, in 2007, there was a pretty intense experience that both Anne and I observed, and uh, Anne is my wife, and I published a blog entry about that. And but there wasn't much until she passed away in August of 2015. Sorry. And starting in, I guess in September or late September or October, the experience began again in a totally new way. And the new book is about about it. That's what it's about. Now, in your new book, you kind of talk about they're trying to com- communicate with with you or to with humans. Us. Yes. Humans, yes. Yeah. And there is a problem. There are a lot of problems with that. It does not work. It's not going to be sitting down and across a table from an alien and talking about starship plans and stuff. 
This is something very different from that. It's quite different. And uh, uh, it is very different, in fact. So we have a we have a, a problem here with communication, and I think I've learned something about that, something about how to communicate with them. And uh, 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 th- that's what I've written about in the book. It's not a how-to book. It's a book about my experiences of doing this, of communicating with them. When did you start to realize, Whitney, that you were able to communicate or they were trying to communicate with you? Uh, Back in 1985, uh, in the summer of 85, I started to become very, very uh, uneasy. And it was terrifying. I didn't know why I was so frightened because I wasn't, I wasn't, aware of anything and I, I knew there was someone coming around the house our little cabin in upstate new york which we we'd bought to have peace and quiet because we lived in manhattan and instead of peace and quiet in the cabin i was absolutely terrified so that was a real problem and the uh what happened then was that i just you know, I, I, I had an I installed an alarm system. I couldn't sleep at night. I bought guns. My, it was driving my wife absolutely crazy because you know we were supposed to be having a peaceful summer in this cabin, and instead I was going berserk. I was having horrible headaches, which you you know when you're pushing something away and you don't want it to see it or have it in your life, that happens to you. Apparently, at least so I'm told since then. Um, and then in October. We had some friends up to the house, and something really very strange occurred. I woke up, and there there was this bright light around the house, and I thought, oh, my God, the chimney's on fire. It was cold, and we had the wood stove burning. We didn't have a fireplace. And I jumped out of bed, and then the... I went running downstairs to woke up Anne and went running downstairs to get our little boy. There was a loud bang, and everyone in the house was awake, and our little boy was screaming. And I ran downstairs to get him and to get our friends out of the house as Anne was in the process of getting up upstairs and doing the same thing. And... By the time I had reached the bottom of the stairs, all was quiet. The light was gone and everything. And was just mystified. And so I told our friends through the door, their door of their bedroom, which was closed. They were downstairs, our bedroom was upstairs, to go back to bed because it was okay. Everything was okay. And I, then I went into our son's room, and I calmed him down and told him to get waiting and let him get back to sleep and went back up to bed. And had already fallen back asleep because it was, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning or something. And, you know, in the morning we talked about it. We couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. And we, uh, we, we just sort of let it go because, you know, what can you do? I had thought I had seen someone that night. 
peeking in the door of the bedroom, and it was very, really disquieting. But, you know, you wake up in the morning, and, you know, it's a new day, and you're just not... I mean, I'm just not a... I wasn't a person in those days who thought about anything like that. I hadn't thought about flying saucers since I was a child. and That certainly never even came up in our conversations. We just blew it off, kind of. Anyway, come Christmas... December the 26th, 1985, I wake up again, and I'm in a, there's noise around me, and it doesn't feel right, and I wake up, and I see that I'm in a little confined little space with these little round room with these weird figures darting around in it, and I thought, what the hell is this? And this went on, I thought, it, you know, it's, got to be a nightmare and I'm trying to really wake up and I'm not getting anywhere because I'm staying where I am. I'm staying there. And uh, I, the next thing I know, I am uh, starting, I'm starting to scream and try to get out of there. And this voice is going, what can we do to help you stop screaming? This gentle female voice. Uh, then it gets very violent. They stick a needle in the side of my head uh, they raped me with a device that electrically stimulates the vagus nerve and causes an erection. They get semen out of my body, and it's a horrendous experience. Uh, horrendous. And so then the next thing I know, I'm waking up the next morning. This is, you know, and I have no real memory of this. I remember I said to my wife, you know, there was an owl in the house last night. She looks like a, me like I'm completely crazy. And... She says, well, uh, where? And I said, well, I don't know where. And I obviously it couldn't have been an owl in the house because the house was all closed up and there was no chimney and there was a wood stove and anything coming down that chimney would have burned up. So uh, there was no fireplace and anything, no way for it to get in. So that evening I finally decided, well, it had been standing on the windowsill. And I go upstairs and I look at the windowsill to see if there are tracks on it because there was snow on it, but there is no, uh, no snow. I mean, no, there's been no snow during the day, so it would be, the tracks would still be there. There are no tracks. And I felt deeply afraid. I was not afraid of aliens. That still hadn't even crossed my mind. I was afraid I was going nuts because, you know, you just, you know, it, it was, it was like some kind of psychotic break. And I didn't tell my wife about it. Instead, I waited a couple of days and the memories became clearer and they were so weird. And I was in pain as well. So I went to the doctor, and he examined me, and he told me I had been raped. And he, I told him what I remembered, and he says, it sounds like you're telling me you were taken aboard a flying saucer by little men. And I said, God, Tom, I, I must be crazy. I've gone crazy. And... He said, well, why don't you see a psychiatrist and let's get into this and get, because you, you can't, uh, th this can't happen. This, this didn't happen. Whatever happened, that wasn't it. 
And I thought maybe it was criminal. I mean, you know, maybe I'd have been attacked by somebody because I'd written a very comp, very controversial book called War Day that was a big bestseller a few years before that certain people in politics hadn't liked very much. And I, uh, so I thought maybe maybe someone drugged me, or I thought maybe I'm going nuts. And in, he was worried about a brain tumor also, so. He sent me first to a neuro- neurologist, and I did, they did a brain workup, you know, where they check you, your, your various brain uh, things about your brain, look up, look down, and all this stuff. And they gave me an MRI scan, and there was nothing wrong with my brain. So that was out. And I, then I decided, he decided, well, let's, Let's see what happens when you take a battery of psychological tests. So we went there that in that direction, and the battery of tests showed that I was under a great deal of stress, but that I was mentally normal. There was no trace of any psychotic, uh, any indications of psychosis. So what am I going to do with that? I was totally perplexed. It was because it... It still hadn't occurred to me that there could be anything even remotely real about something so idiotic as that. So I got to reading a book. My brother had sent me this book for Christmas as a joke called Science and the UFOs, just by seemingly by coincidence. I've wondered often if it was a coincidence because I was reading along in the book and I'm sort of enjoying it. Uh, I'd come across a passage about a US, an alien abduction, and it sounds like what happened to me. And there is mentioned a guy, Bud Hopkins, who researches this. He lives in Manhattan, not far from where we live, so I call him. I go over to see him, and I, this house is full of UFO books and all this stuff. And, it, and I go over there, and we're really immediately put off, and... Um, you know, I'm, I'm just not wanting to be a part of that world. So he says, he says he wants to hypnotize me to get more detail. And I say in my, I say, no, thank you. I would rather not do that because you're not a, you're not a licensed hypnotist. He was an artist and I'm not going to be hypnotized by some guy who has just read a book about it. So he actually got me to probably the best forensic hypnotist in New York, which was Dr. Donald Klein, the chief of the New York State Department of Psychiatry, who had, contrary to what you may read in the papers about hypnosis, solved many cases by helping people using hypnosis, helping people remember things like the license numbers of cars that ran them down and hit and runs and all kinds of things. So he was definitely quite capable and very definitely the real deal. So uh, he put me under hypnosis, and the first time he did it, it covered the thing that had happened in October, and I had just mentioned that because it was kind of weird, and I figured, well, we'll, you know, let's see if this helps. And I, I just panicked. I, I was screaming like a maniac. It was horrifying. I, I, I went berserk, totally screaming in his office. People were about to call the police from other offices. And um, he called me down and pulled me out of the hypnosis. And he said, listen, I don't know exactly what's going on here, but we're going to just take this very slowly. 
And uh, about a week later, I went back and recovered the incident that had happened in December, and that's the genesis of the book Communion, and because it's a description of that experience and how it affected me. So that's a that's the basic story. Now I, I got to ask you a question, Whitney. How did your Anne take it when all this was going on? Well, that was a real problem because during the period between during the period between the time it happened and the time I began to get it focused and to realize I wasn't crazy, I thought I was insane. I thought I was going to be a psychotic, and she was going to be saddled with a psychotic husband. And I was trying to convince her to divorce me. I wouldn't divorce her because I had no reason to. But I was trying to convince her to, and she was very upset about this because she didn't want to divorce me. We were very much in love. So then then this happens, and I come to the conclusion that it may have been in some way real, this insane thing. And I told a friend... Um, who a longtime friend about it, and I said, I don't know how I'm going to tell Anne. And he said, Well, just tell her and see what she says. I said, Well, you know, I I, I don't know what I mean. What will she say? She's she. I know. I I told him about our friction, and she said. I said as soon as she hears this, she is going to want a divorce. And he said, Well, let me tell you something. I want you to talk to my uh, in-laws, my my wife's parents, because they. It has happened. They lived about a mile from us, and they had actually seen these little beings in their backyard while they were eating breakfast just a few weeks before. And they were watching them and wondering what the hell they were. Now, hey, Whitley, Uh, we got to take a commercial break for the radio stations. We'll be back in about three and a half minutes. People, you want to stay tuned because what Whitley has to say is a lot. Again, you want to check out his new book. And better than that, go out and get it. It's called A New World. We'll be back in about three minutes. You're listening to Gary on Night Dreams Talk Radio After Dark. And we'll be back. Walks in 
can advertise your business on Night Dreams Talk Radio, and you will be heard worldwide. Why not contact us at nightdreamstalkradio at gmail.com. You're listening to my friend Gory Anderson on Night Dreams Talk Radio, the best in paranormal radio. Now, John, cut that out. You know I'm not the best, but I can honestly say we are on the radio tonight. We got Whitney on. We're talking about his new book, A New World. And we're talking about, well, what happened back in the 80s. Now, hey, Whitney, a question I have to ask you. In 1989... You were in your cabin, and this man and a woman, as you mentioned, came in. You had an alarm system, and they bypassed the alarm system. Did you ever go back and figure if it was malfunctioning, or they just had Certainly. It was. There was a huge magnetic field on the... On the garage doors, when I, after that happened, the morning after that happened, the the system was still armed, and I, I had decided it was some kind of bizarre dream, and I, they, these two people had come into the house in the night, and I'd seen them, I mean, they came right into my bedroom, and uh, they had overwhelmed, I, I tried to go for my gun, of course, but they i became became immobilized and they had been pressing on my head for a few seconds and uh, then they left very noisily with a lot of crashing in the woods and stuff and in any case i i ran through the house trying to determine if there was a breach anywhere because the alarm system was still armed and the house was all locked up. The alarm system was working fine. So I decided that it must be that um, it was a dream, a nightmare, a, a, a super lucid nightmare, because it felt real, seemed real. They, they looked real, and they were right there. I mean, I saw them coming across the room and heard people talking outside and the crunching of gravel in the driveway and everything. It was just hard to believe it hadn't been a real experience. So... But anyway, I slept uneasily, and then I, in the morning I went out to get the paper, which involved driving out to a little store about a mile and a half away. And I opened the door into the garage, and I had not checked the garage in the night. I hadn't thought to. And the garage door was wide open, even though the system was still armed. So what, what could this be? And I called the alarm man immediately, and he came over. And he used a Gauss meter to detect the magnetic fields to see if there was something wrong with the switch because it, it was, seemed impossible that the thing the door would be wide open and the and the alarm system would still be armed. And he found that there was a really powerful magnetic field there that was so powerful that even with the door open, the switch was not disconnecting. And there was nothing, you, you know, magnetic fields aren't like radio. They don't propagate. They have to have something generating them, and they, they remain in a certain form around the generator. And whatever's generating them, if it's a, a passive magnet or an electromagnet. But there was nothing there that could generate anything close to a magnetic field of that intensity. So he did all he could, which is to change out the uh, switches, 
and it worked fine again after that. And we just were less mystified. Then that afternoon, my ears started to hurt, and I felt it, and it had a lump in it that hadn't been there before. That was the beginning of my discovery of the fact that I had been had an implant put in me. What did you do when you discovered you had a lump there? Did you go to the doctor and have it checked? And yes, I did. Uh, initially, I went to the doctor, and he said it's a little cyst, and he my regular doctor said there's nothing it's not infected or anything but i just leave it alone and i didn't i wasn't willing to tell him what had happened so i didn't tell him that but i was i was uh i told ann that you know i'm going to go back and i'm going to get him to take it out and she said no it you know you let's figure out what it does first let's figure out what this thing is and because you know you're here to uh, you're here to learn about this, and it's what you're trying to do. And and I said, well, it's not in your head. And I, <laughs> she said, uh, no, um, it's not. And uh, she said that um, we 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 should leave it. And so I, I did leave it. I left it for a couple of years, and then we met another doctor in San Antonio. We'd moved down to San Antonio. We met another doctor there, and he, his reaction was, yeah, I can just pop it out. It's nothing to it. And she said, okay, look, you've had it in there for now. It was about three or four years, and we couldn't tell it was doing anything, except it would beer would get hot once in a while and very red. And I had been working at that point with uh, – uh, Bill Mallow, the head of material science at the Southwest Research Institute in San Antonio, we'd been actually working on implants that were being provided by Dr. Roger Lear in L.A., who was taking them out of people at that time. And it was very interesting work, but we weren't finding anything, any smoking guns, because they were all nickel iron and, you know, looked like meteoric iron. The only thing about them that was really unusual was that they were in. In, encased in epidermis rather than calcium. And the body will encase a foreign object in calcium in order to isolate it from the body. But it doesn't have the genetic encoding to create epidermis in muscle tissue. So we knew they weren't, they were not accidental in, in inclusions. They were definitely something that had been put in by somebody, but we couldn't tell why. It, it just seemed to be no reason for it. There was no evidence of any technology in any of them. Anyway, I was talking to him, and the mind turned on, and my ear got bright red, and we there was a signals acquisition lab at the at uh, Southwest, and so we went, and they turned the lab on, and I they picked a signal up from the thing, but the lab's classified, so I didn't, they didn't tell me, they couldn't tell me anything about it. Twenty years passed, and I was at a uh, library thing in San Antonio a few years ago, and a guy walks up to me in a crowd while I just after I've given a speech, and he says, "Mr. Streeter, I just want to know you uh, know you to know that I was I was one of the people working on this in that lab on the signal, and the signal remains one of the most unusual signals that we have ever found." I said, "Well, can I learn more about it now?" He said, "No, unfortunately, it's still classified." And he turned around and walked out, and I never saw him again. But at least I know something about it. Um, that's 
that's pretty much the story of the implant, except I learned how to use it in starting in 2015. Oh, wow. But again, too, didn't you have it, uh, try to have it removed and it moved around when they were trying to take it out? Yeah, I did. That's right. The doctor in, I'm sorry, I went, went over that. The doc didn't get to that. The doctor in San Antonio, Dr. John Lerma, did try to remove it. He opened it up, and he, as soon as he touched it with the scalpel, the darn thing moved from the pina, which is the top of the ear, under the skin, down into my earlobe, a couple of inches. I mean, it moved very dramatically. And, you know, he immediately closed up the incision. He said, Whitley, I'll have to, I'd have to, uh, uh, I'd have to cut your ear off to get this thing. Oh, wow. He was completely mystified and it's all on videotape so it's you know there's no question about the fact that this i'm describing something that happened uh and so he did get a little sliver of it and he sent the sliver to a lab in the normal course of medical the medical profession and the lab tech called him and said is this a joke and he said no no it's not it, it came out of a patient and he said because this is a metal metallic base and it's got motile cilia on it uh, protonaceous cilia on it it's this is not so, something natural this is a piece of technology of some kind so we got it back from the lab and took it out to southwest to built to analyze it and he found that and he found some calcium by the time it was out there the cilia were pretty much gone they were just they were they were, they were they had dissolved but the little bit of metal and calcium was still there and the next thing i knew bill said well uh, you can come get it now and when i went to get it and he opened his desk drawer it was gone and i don't know why whether it was given because they they had more than 50 percent of their budget was provided by the central intelligence agency and i have no idea a lot of stuff going on out there was classified, and I have no idea why it was gone, if Bill lost it or what. But I never saw it again. And that was the end of that story for many years. And then um, in 2015, I began to learn how to use it. I'm glad it's in there now, I'll tell you, because it's a really useful, useful and re really extraordinary thing. Yeah, that is interesting. Have you heard of Timothy Collin? He was, no. he was the number Maybe. ninth uh, implant removal from the, the late Dr. Roger Lear. And his, well, I might have even been there when the implant re was removed, but I do not know the name, yeah. remember the name. Yeah, well, when they sent it out to the lab, according to Timothy, that the results came back, it was some type of silver with other types of metal that was mixed into it that could not be uh, compounded on Earth. There was no way to put all these type of you know different type of metals together. Yeah, there's a lot of that stuff out there. I've got some in my office, not that particular stuff, but I've got a piece of magnesium layered magnesium and bismuth, which I've had for years. That was I acquired some time ago. That and the fascinating thing about this is there's no. There's nothing causing the magnesium and the bismuth to adhere. They're they're just together. They're not. Uh, they're not. There's no bonding agent in there. So why do they adhere? Why do, why is it like that? Because you can't break it apart or anything. And uh, in fact, uh, 
the researcher Linda Moulton Howe had some, and she recently sold it to this group called the To the Stars Academy for analysis. But nobody asked me for mine, so it's still sitting in my office. Interesting. We did study it at Southwest and did some scanning electron microscopy on it, but we, I've, I've just told you everything we found. After it was removed, I, what um, have you felt different physically, uh, emotionally? No, no, mine was not removed. Okay, no, it wasn't removed. There, no, it was just a piece of it, and it went back. Oh, I forgot to tell you. It went back up into, my, into pretty much where it is now the next day. And it hurt. It burned my ear when it went up because the, there was no anesthesia in my ear by then. It had worn off. And um, it went back up to where it had been in the first place on its own. Very interesting. How often does it turn on and off? Is, is it periodically? or is uh, it... Nowadays, it turns on very occasionally. I can remember, I, I, I think I felt it about six weeks ago, the last time it definitely turned on, I was rehearsing a speech in front of a, a, a member of the family who's had also had close encounter experiences, and she saw it. She saw the ear turn bright red, and she said, your ear's turning bright red, and I said, well, I guess it's not just you and me listening to this rehearsal. I hope whoever's on the other side likes it, uh, or maybe I'm going to be in trouble. So <laughs> that was that. It turned on then, but I use it. To, I discovered in um, in October, I think September, October of 2015, that something there's something very unusual in my head. I was in the John, and there was a bright sun shining on the white wall in front of me. And I noticed movement in my right eye, and I thought, what is that, a floater? It was very unusual, and I closed my left eye, and I could see that there was an oblong slit in my right eye, very neat slit, and there were words racing through it at breakneck speed, like somebody was typing. They were in courier. They They really looked like typewriter typing racing through my eye, and I thought, my God, what is this? And after I, I concentrated on it, I could read it, and I realized it was related to the book I was writing. It was a historical model. It had nothing to do with any of this stuff. And it, 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 it was like a sort of super thesaurus. In other words, a thesaurus might give you words that are related to a word, but this was giving me words that related to the ideas I was working on. It was amazing and great because it was like having an incredible muse in my head. And I, I couldn't read them consciously, but it was obviously going into my mind somehow. And, you know, the novel went very well. And then while I was working on it, I discovered another thing about it. I started asking the implant all kinds of questions, of course, because I figured it's alive in there. And it is, you know, here are these questions. And uh, I've got a lot of questions. And it, it answered some of them from time to time in a very unusual way. I would ask a question, and sometime a day or so later, like I 
I was the novel is set in World War Two, and it's a it's a uh, faux memoir of a young man who ended up a young German American who ended up in close to Hitler and became an allied spy after he realized what Hitler really was. And so it has to be have a lot of verisimilitude. It has to be really as if you were the man who was writing it was there. And so I needed to know all kinds of things about Hitler. Like one example is what was Hitler's toothpaste? What toothpaste did he use? Because he was obsessive about his body and he brushed his teeth four times a day. Uh, so that was a factor and had to be a factor in the book. And I had no way of, I couldn't find anything. And I thought, well, I'm just going to have to choose a toothpaste that was being used in Germany in the 30s, but I really wanted the right one. You know, you get like that when you're writing a novel like that. Damned if I wasn't going on Google, and I suddenly noticed that instead of the English Google, I was in the German Google. And I don't even speak German. I had no idea there was even a German Google, to be frank with you. So there was something about Hitler there. I could see his name, and I clicked on it, and it was a book that I bought. Uh, and I, 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 it was a, by one of his valets. I used the translator that you can translate, and I translated all of that uh, on the web and bought the book. And it came about a, two weeks later, and at that point, I just happened to run into a woman who spoke fluent German, and she translated it for me, and there in the book was everything I needed to know about Hitler's private toiletries and everything. And I didn't attribute that to the implant at first, but other things have happened since that make me think it is uh, exactly what, uh, what it, it is involved in this. So that's so, how they communicate with you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it, I mean, think if we knew how this, how this all was working and people not, you know, a, a basically a novelist, but a highly skilled scientists could make use of something like that. How fast would we make progress then? It's really tantalizing, and that's, I'm sort of hoping that my book, I mean, most people, they hear me and they think I'm completely crazy, and they just blow it all off immediately. Uh, or, you know, they think of it in terms of UFOs, and that's not, I don't think, necessarily all that accurate a way of looking at it. But think if this worked if there was a smooth level of communication between us and whatever is on the other side of things like that and i'm hoping my book will chip away at the at the iceberg a little bit and maybe some people will see it and think well maybe actually i could try this because it you it's not hard to do and you can see in the book how to how i got into regular communication with them so that's sort of my hope. I, it's much of a hope. I don't think it'll work because, as I say, most people just laugh at me. Well, you know what? Terry Lovelace has been on my show several times uh, uh, talking about his ordeal being abducted, his implant. By the way, he told me to say hi to you. Uh, he is listening tonight. Now, you know, he's 
claims he has the implant in his knee. And, you know, Terry, maybe what uh, Whitley is saying, you might give it some thought. Maybe they've been trying to communicate with you all these years and you you just haven't realized it. Just like Whitley didn't realize it. Well, if he's had an, he needs to have an MRI on it because we did find one or two in when we were researching them at Southwest that disappeared as soon as they were touched by x-rays. I mean, that became x-ray invisible. So if it's x-rayed and they don't see anything, he needs to figure out how to get someone to give him an MRI scan of that of that leg and see if it's in there. Because um, I've had um, numerous MRIs, and it's never affected it, but it has been visible under an MRI. Interesting. And again, what's the size of yours? It's very small. I don't know. A centimeter, I mean, maybe two centimeters at most. Interesting. So uh, where you you plan to, uh, are you been asking it more questions since then? And have you been getting oh, yeah. more answers? I, I certainly and... have. I certainly have. I've asked it. When I started to write the book about this, I, I was constantly working with it. And it was extremely useful. Uh, to give you an example, I asked it to tell me something that I knew nothing whatsoever about, that I had never heard of at all, that would be useful for the book. And it came up with the fine structure constant, which is, an, which is the great, it turns out, is the greatest mystery in physics. And for a lot of reasons, it was very useful knowledge for the book, and it plays a big role in the book because of the fact that the mystery of it is why is it what it is it's one one hundred and thirty seventh it's the distance between the spectrographic lines in a spectrogram of of hydrogen only most constants are that we understand why they're there in other words uh, we understand the principles of nature that make that constant inevitable. But this constant is completely arbitrary. There's no apparent reason for it to be 1137th. And the man who discovered it was named Wolfgang Pauli. He was a very, very great and famous physicist who lived in the 30s. His, his heyday was in the 30s, and he died in 1950, I think, six, as I recall, and um, he was so mystified by it that he struck up a friendship with the psychiatrist Carl Jung, who worked on a lot of of myth and, and, and things, ideas of God and things like that, because he was trying to find something in myth that would explain the reason that this was there. Because it's almost, as he, as he puts it in one of his letters to Jung, he says it's as if God just decided that this was a nice number and did it to do it. There's no reason for it. And, of course, a physicist who does not actually, this physicist did not actually believe in God, he was really curious about it, and... He died not knowing, and we still really don't know. But we do know that it is one of the stablest constants that we measure. Uh, 
he died, ironically enough, in a hospital in Switzerland in room 137, which is so odd because Jung was the great expert on synchronicity and the meaning of synchronicities in the world. And it's a huge synchronicity that that Paulie would check into the hospital and end up in room 137 when this was the greatest mystery of his life. And he died there. And I'm telling you about things that are at the kind of at the edge of reality, but they're still there. And the visitors are there too. I, I, people always say, well, why don't they just sit down across the table from me and tell me about how to build a cool cell phone from another planet? It ain't like that. This isn't about stuff like that at all. This is about something greater and bigger and more extraordinary, something bigger than our ordinary lives. It is really about a new world and a new way of living. Interesting. And how many years did it really take you before you realized all this? I mean, what, about almost 30 years? I've been living with this since 1985. Yeah, 30 years. And I'm still living with it every day of my life. Uh, it is the center of my life experience. And I'm incredibly grateful for it. Uh, and it has been really hard. It's been really hard on every level. They're hard. They're not easy to deal with at all. They're very scary and they're very difficult. Very difficult. And the public reaction is awful. I'm so scorned. And I can't even, when I'm with my family, I can't let their neighbors know who I am. When neighbors come over, I have to go upstairs. Because if they saw that I was the rectal probe man, the UFO, Mr. UFO, it would ruin my family's life. So, you know, it's, a, it's hell. I live in hell, but it's the most interesting damn hell you can possibly imagine. It sounds like it, because, I mean, you know, I, you know, a friend of mine who's no longer with us, uh, Art Bell, you know, yeah, he was a good friend of mine too. We wrote a book together. Oh, I know, I know. And Art thought so much of you too. I, I, I know an Art. Same here. We we were like brothers. Yeah, I really miss him. You know, I was actually in retirement, and when he started Midnight in the Desert, and after he got out of it, he called me up out of the blue uh, moon, and and because I would go up and see him every summer on my Harley up here. I live near Seattle, and I. Me and my sons would go up there, and I would spend a half a day with him, and we'd talk and all that stuff. He'd show me his ham radio gear and his antennas. But, uh, you know, here I was retired, and then one day I get a phone call, and he goes, well, are you going to come up and see me? And I go, I don't know. And he goes, well, you know what? Sell it. You need to get back on radio. And here I am. I started out at an internet radio, and now I'm on 22 radio stations. I, I tell you, at my age, it's, it's kind of hard, but... You know, without art, I wouldn't be doing something I enjoy. Yeah. yeah, I took over art show Dreamland back in 1998. And um, the show Art and Ramona, the Saturday night show that was on their, uh, on their evening shoulder on, uh, on, on Premiere. And I did it on Premiere for a while. And then they ditched it because it wasn't making any money or not enough money. And... Uh, 
Art retired, and it was all very hard. Uh, but I still do it. I still have it on my, I've been doing it for over 20 years now. And it's on my website, unknowncountry.com. I do it every week. And that is a uh, uh, part, big part of my life, Dreamland. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I do. Week. I do listen to it occasionally too. I, oh. I, I tell you, I, you I, know, a lot I, of people listen to it. It's very popular, but I don't have to worry about radio stations. No radio station is going to take a nut like me, so I don't have to worry about that. Well, you but, know, I'll be honest with you. You're lucky. You know, when I started out, I didn't have no radio stations. I was just doing it on the internet, and then all of a sudden, one station wanted. And you know what? Now I have an agent, and it, like I was telling my friend James Kushbaum, who's my co-host, he's real quiet, and he's actually listening uh, on the air with us. But you know what? I, I was telling him today, the pressure, you know, when you get an agent, all of a sudden now they just want you to perform. You know, I'm going on 68 years old. I'm still young, but, you know, I'm spending 13, 14 hours a day doing this show. But anyway, we need to go on break. Uh, it'll be the last break. We got you for another half an hour. I want to ask you more questions. This is about you and this great book. You know, I got it here in the mail yesterday. I got fourth way into it. And I'll tell you what, I think it's one of the best be uh, books you've written. And uh, I just love it. Anyway, we'll be back with Whitney in about two and a half minutes. Uh, go get a cup of Java. Get a nice easy chair. Sit back and, you know, just relax. We'll be back. You thirst for some significance of the both dimensional kind. You enter a realm of spirit, of sight and sound and mind. Your radio is a cosmic doorway and your psyche Tune in to Gary and the Sun and Nitrium's After Dark. like to hear night dreams talk radio on your local radio station let them know tell them to check out www.nightdreamstalkradio.com and thank you you can advertise your business on night dreams talk radio and you will be heard worldwide why not contact us at nightdreamstalkradio at gmail.com good evening or morning depending on your time zone 
From the Pacific to the Atlantic to you worldwide. Get yourself a cup of Java and find a comfy, easy chair. And get ready for Gary and his guest on Night Dreams Talk Radio After Dark. And now, here's Gary. And here I am. Boy, I just got to do better with this golf club. I tell you what, I got holes in my studio walls. That's how bad it is. James, never send me a golf uh, club ever again. You understand that? (laughs) Now you tell me after you've had it for a month. Yeah, well, I'm learning to swing at least. Whitney, my friend, what happened to you in October 2015? Well, what happened is a couple of things. The first thing that happened was that my wife had passed away the previous month in, in August, and we were really close. We were like two... We were like one person with two bodies. We were just extremely close. And I I was terribly grief-stricken. And I had gone to a conference in Nashville run by a guy called William Henry who does these beautiful conferences about uh, Renaissance art and its uh, the hidden symbolism in it and stuff it's quite fun and at least for me and while i was there there was someone who had been at one of my conferences that i held there and ann held ann and i held she came up to me and she said mr streber the strangest thing just happened to me i heard ann's voice in my ear say tell whitley i can see him when he's in the chair and this is part of a whole thing that was already happening. I, she had contacted a whole bunch of people, and, and we had had a pact back in the 90s that the first one of us to die would try to contact friends, but not directly because we, neither one of us would believe it. We would just assume it was our imagination. And so she, um, uh, she, when this happened, I was not surprised that it has happened because I was already aware of the fact that she was doing what we had what we had, had set up and planned to do way back then because it now it happened I write a whole book about it called the afterlife revolution but anyway um, I knew immediately what this meant it meant that when I sit and did, meditated and do a did a certain exercise called the sensing exercise the body, it's a matter of placing the attention on the body, and it affects the nervous system. And I realized, my God, they can see this. That's probably why I've had all these close encounter experiences in the first place, because I've been doing it every night for seven, since 1970. So uh, that happened, and that was one thing that happened. The next thing was, uh, I guess, a bit of time after I got back, all of a sudden something shocked one of my toes, very intensely, you know, I jumped out of bed, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, there was nothing in the bed. I mean, nothing, there's no cords or anything. And so I looked up gout on my phone, uh, you know, Googled gout, because, you know, you, you, your doctor, 24-hour-a-day doctors now Google. And 
obviously it wasn't a symptom of what I had had, was not unlikely to be a symptom of gout, so I thought, I don't know what happened. So I left it at that, kind of, went back to sleep. But then the next night, it was much more intense. An invisible hand, and this is a lot of this involves invisible. I don't care what people think. I'm not alone. This is something that happens to all close encounter witnesses. Half the stuff that happens to them, you can't see who's doing it, and that's just part of the experience. Anyway, um, uh, someone grabs my left, my, my right nipple, excuse me, and shakes it really hard. And, you know, that got me, that got immediate notice. Boy, I leaked out of the bed at that point. I was going to grab my gun because I thought there was somebody standing beside my bed. But there was no one there. Wow. And then I thought, holy moly, it's them. They're back after all these years. And so I went into the living room and did the sensing exercise at three because there had been a period of time back in the 90s when whoever's in on the other side of this, and it's not aliens, I don't think, wanted me and was waking me up in similar ways to get me to do it at three. And I know why that is now. It's kind of complicated. But uh, uh, I, I, I started doing it. And after that, they now, it's 2019, and I still do it every night. If I don't wake up, they will wake me up generally by blowing in my face or touching my hand or kissing me. Or sometimes I'll hear a, once or twice I've heard a voice in the living room say, Whitley. <laughs> so it happens, and this is the way I live. And the, 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 there are two meditations, one at 11 and one at 3. And the 3 o'clock one is filled with ideas and all kinds of wonderful ideas for my book came in that meditation, and they really almost wrote the book. Whoever's on the other side of this wrote, almost wrote, the, wrote a new world with me because so many of the ideas in it come from that 3, 3 a.m. meditation. And I love the way I'm living, and I'm not unhealthy. Uh, I, have a, I have terrific numbers of when I take uh, physicals. I have a marvelous memory. If anything, it's better than it was 20 years ago. And I'm not suffering from any form of sleep deprivation whatsoever. So this is my life now. This is it. This is how I live. How many hours a, a, a night do you get asleep? Uh, I get two periods of sleep that add up to about five hours. Interesting. Yeah, I, I I go through the same issue. I you know I, I'm concerned about myself. This has been going on for. Yeah, I had I I'll, I'll say this because again this is about you. But back in the early seventies in New Mexico with my wife at the time, we had an encounter where the, we were on the freeway and I was in my GTO going high speed, and all of a sudden the all around the car it lit up, and inside the car it lit up. And I figured, okay, it's a police helicopter. I, I know what helicopters sound like. Yeah, I, I, right. I, I, you're I, done. You're I, done. You're I, doing 130 miles an hour, having a great time. Now you're going to have to pay a little bit for that. Yeah, that's what that, I would think. That's what I thought. And I get out of the car, and I did notice a car maybe a couple hundred yards behind me stopped. But I didn't think anything of it. But when I got out of the car, it was absolutely quiet. Not a sound. And I remember the light was so bright intense and then poof it was gone 
And I remember my wife was hysterical uh, for hours after that. I was kind of upset. But then I kind of forgot about it for years and years went by. And then early 90s, I was having some medical issues. I go to the a surgeon that I was referred to. He sends me in to, you know, have x-rays and MRI and all this stuff. I go back to the doctor a week or two later, and I'm just sitting in the nurse's office or the doctor's office. The head nurse comes out and she goes, where did you get that piece of metal? It's next to your spine. Did that happen when you were in the military? And I go, no, I I fractured my tailbone uh, in the military, but no, I, I never had any stratinol or anything. I get into the doctor. He's looking my is below my neck, you know, and, and down a couple inches. And he's looking, he goes, well, there's no puncture marks. And then I freaked out and, and I go, well, can we get it? Can you remove it? And he goes, no, there's scar tissue. If I go in there and try to remove it, you won't probably be walking. You'll be in a wheelchair. But he says, we'll just leave it alone. <laughs> I, you know what? So there you are. Well, you know what? You got it. It's I, there and it's not going anywhere. But I left it alone. I didn't think anything of it. Then my one son, my oldest son gets in trouble. I have to go to drug court once a month. I go into Pierce County Courthouse. I set their alarms off every month for a year. It got to the point after about the third time they were taking me in that special room with the latex glove. And they're trying to figure out what I, I, you know, what I have to have a weapon or something. And I tell you, it's scary. And then I got to the point I wouldn't fly on an airplane anymore because I would set the alarms off. I, I don't know. I, d- I don't know. This makes me wonder. No. Yeah, yeah. It does make you wonder, doesn't it? I mean, it looks like you're connected to this in some way. Yeah, I used to say to Art, look, Art, you're going to get an implant, too, now that I have one. He said, no, I'm not. I'm not in that. That's not my life, my world. I said, you're out there living in the desert in a, in a double wide. That's They're going to come swarming in there one night and take you up, and you're going to. <laughs> get your implant it never happened to him unfortunately he liked fast cars too he he had a car early on that he he bought and it was um goy could do like 140 or something we were up and i were up there and he says to annie you want to take a ride with me she says nope he said well why not he said, because you're going to go 140 and scare me to death. <laughs> but, but was that his She fire- was no fool. She knew what was going on. That was his Firebird, wasn't it? It was a Firebird. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. we had so much fun together. We really did. I miss that guy. Yeah. I miss him a lot. Yeah, I will say this. I miss we'll her, get- too. I mean, maybe they're, maybe they're playing. You know, it was a Firebird in the sky right now. Who knows? It could be. It's better than his Geo. Uh, I will say this. I, I, there isn't a day I don't think about them because you know what? I, I, when I first started getting back into broadcasting, I've been in broadcasting since 76 and you know, I, I've been into motorcycles and I figured, you know, I, I'm going to go back into it because art, you know, talked me into it, but like an idiot, I, I decided I was going to create a show called motorcycle talk. And I think I had 15 listeners. And then one day art called me up and he goes, did you learn your lesson yet? And I, I go, yeah, I've been doing it for three months, and I think I have 15 listeners. And he goes, yeah, I'm probably one of them. So I went back to the paranormal thing. And you know what? It's been a, a trip ever since. Uh, well, what do you know? There you have it. He was, he was special. He was one of a kind. 
Uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun together, both on and off the air. And the nice thing about art is I, to this day, do not know what he believed about any of this stuff. Well, you um, know, he, he did tell me uh, that, you know, he, he one of his little nice lectures, he goes, you remember, this is entertainment. And just look right. at it as entertainment. And, and, and you'll enjoy it a lot better. And you know what? That's how I look at it. I think that's the right way to, because, uh, I mean, I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth as best I'm able. But I've had half your listeners are listening to this and thinking, what a nutter. Uh, uh, but uh, maybe not half on this show, but a lot of them. They're wrong, but they're here, and they're here, and they're being entertained. And so they're getting something out of it, at least. And there's a group of them also who are thinking, my God, that new book could really help me because I'm struggling with this right now. And they'll, they'll be the ones who go on Amazon and get the book. So, uh, and it, so it, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's a win-win situation for me as far as I'm concerned. And the point of the book, here's what happened. This happened now in February of 2016. I see that the world is basically going to hell in a handbasket on all kinds of different levels. And I'm saying to them, they have been concerned about the environment and with me and with dozens or probably thousands, excuse me, thousands of other close encounter witnesses over the years. So they will, I think that, that, that they would, um, I lost my train of thought. I'm tired. Anyway, um, do you know where, what I was starting to talk about? <laughs> Any information at all? Well, yeah, about you know how the book can help people and oh yeah, and, exactly. And, and about our you know ecology, our our world of yeah. And know. anyway, they were concerned about the environment, and all of these close encounter witnesses have this message, and I have this message, and Art and I wrote Superstorm based on that information. And uh, so I was thinking that maybe they would come out if they just showed up for 10 minutes in an indisputable way, that would empower all of us close encounter witnesses. And we could go out and say, this is their message. You better listen to it or we're in trouble. And so their reaction was they can't communicate with us. We're too scared of them, and we don't understand the, the gulf between us well enough to successfully communicate. And I reacted with, I'm not scared of you anymore. I'm not scared of you at all. Uh, you come in here, you touch me, you live with me, you interact with me on all kinds of different levels, sometimes even physically, and I am not scared of you, as you well know. So if I can do it, I could at least be a start. And here's what happened. Their attitude was, yes, you are scared of us. So I'm asleep one night in my, one of my sleep periods, and I wake up because there's something between my legs, and I'm moving around in the bed, and I can feel that there's something between my legs. And I open my eyes, and I think, is there something there? It feels weird. Is there something between my legs? And I 
feel something like a little tiny little hand comes into contact with my genitals. And I am out of that bed. I'm surprised I didn't go through the ceiling and into the onto the roof right now, boy. And at the same time, something very dark and not too big goes flashes out of the bed and goes up toward the ceiling and does go through it and without a sound and is gone. And as that happens, I feel something scratch me, and I look down and I've got a big gash on my leg as if to say, don't you decide it's a dream this time, you. And so I'm at this point, I'm working with a group of people who work, people in basically in the sciences, sciences in the academic world, who work on this and very deeply. And most of their work is classified, so I don't know what that is. But I do give them an ongoing uh, story of my experiences. And so I send this to them. I send the the picture of the gash to him and everything just to they didn't say anything much about it it took the gash about a year to heal but that was the beginning of all of what amounted to a kind of set of lessons that led to the writing of the book of a new world they really engaged with me and what is in that book is totally new there's nothing like it anywhere it's their vision as I understand it, and I hope I understood it fairly well, of what we can do together to communicate with each other. So, uh, uh, so that was sort of the genesis of it. And that those lessons, the last lesson in the book is from, um, I think, August, or maybe even September. So... Uh, uh, it's remarkable. They didn't even, they were not even willing to let me get a publisher because it's a good book and I could have gotten a publisher for it, but they wanted it out there. They wanted it out there on October the 15th. I got it out on November the 15th and they seemed satisfied enough with that, but there was no way they were going to wait a year for it to be published. So, they were eager for it to get out. I don't really know why, but it's out, and they seem, as I say, they seem satisfied with it. What do you think the future of our country, our planet, is going to be 10, 15 years out? Well, we're going to have more and more trouble. And, you know, people who say that it's been politicized for some strange reason in a lot of countries, not just the United States, like in India and Brazil and Australia and uh, the United States, it's you know very politically incorrect to say there are environmental problems and people get angry about that. But there are. I mean, you can see it everywhere. And look at Venice's the worst series of floods in the history of, of Venice. It just happened in the past week. Uh, a huge fires in Australia, fires in uh, in, in in Siberia last last uh, summer, fires in uh, in uh, California. Every all this stuff is happening, and it's real. And people, for whatever reason, we have no effective leadership. We can't face it. We need somebody to help us because there's billions of people on this planet. They are wonderful. It's a wonderful place, and human beings are extraordinary. We can't let this go. We cannot let this go. This has to, absolutely has to work. 
So, well, we need we need something. You know, I preach it on my show a lot, and some people on my list or some of my listeners love what I say. I get some it, it says I don't know what I'm talking about, but we talk about virtually every night a few minutes about Earth changes. You know, Antarctica. Uh, you know the. Um, the worst temperatures ever uh, in the UK in the last hundred years supposed to happen here uh, uh, this winter. Uh, Canada, the low, uh, coldest part in the, the world for a few days. A lot of weird things are going on. The sea uh, rising. And you know what? We stripped the EPA to nothing. And then we got some politician that just says, well, I don't believe in you know, all this stuff about Earth yeah. changes. I don't believe it. I was amazed by that and horrified by it. I don't believe it. Come on. Well, you know, it, it's. I'm going to tell you another little quick story. I know our time's almost up. Your book that you and Art wrote. Three days, yeah. before, three days before, or four days before he passed on, he called me up and we were talking. And he was kind of upset about something. And we, we talked about his problem. And I said, you know, I'm thinking about going on eBay and, and, and find the global superstorm. And he says, yeah, you could probably find it, but let's see what I can do. And you know what? The day he, uh, the day after he passed on, I went out to get the mail. Or actually, my uh, daughter went out to get the mail. And I got the book from Art. Wow. That was my, uh, my first major cry in probably 50 years. That's interesting. But you know what? I'm looking, at, I'm looking at the book right now. What you wrote is now happening. You know, I hate it's to say happening. it. It's happening. And listen, there's another book, Nature's End, that I wrote in 1984, published in 1984, that's also happening now. And it's set in 2025. It's happening early. It's scary. I, I, you could, you foreseen the future and, and, and a lot of people, you, and I hate to say Al Gore could see the future, what was going to be. And, and for years, all these scientists getting on the, the news, getting in the paper and the, the print and saying, Oh no, you know, global warming is not happening. Nothing's happening. It's, you know, it's all lies. It, it's not. And, and I, I'm just hoping seriously that we haven't gone too far. Well, I hope we can save this because this is a beautiful thing. I've got grandchildren, and they're wonderful, and they're like everybody else's grandchildren. They're wonderful. Yeah. And uh, I love them dearly, and I want them to have lives. I don't want them to be destroyed in some kind of god-awful environmental catastrophe caused by lack of leadership. And I just think if, the, if this works and the visitors do come out, it's going to change the world because people are going to really take notice and I'm hoping that the book, the book is a basis, because if, you, if, if they come out, a lot of people will read this book, and it will give them a basis for understanding a little bit more about communicating with them in a way that will be useful and helpful, instead of all confused. And that's what I, you know, again, like with Terry Lovelace has been on my show numerous times. Calvin Parker has been on my show. Timothy Cullen has been on my show. I've had some major people that, you know, claim that they have been abducted or implants put in or what have you. And they're all confused. And maybe they are the ones that should be reading this book. Again, uh, Whitney, where can they find this, this great book? 
Oh, it's basically on Amazon right now. Uh, it's uh, you can get it in Kindle or paperback, and it will be out as an audio book read by me probably next week. Great. Yeah, everybody, this is one I only got through about a fourth of the book so far, but I'll tell you, I was reading it, and it actually means a lot to me. And what uh, Whitney is saying in it, it, it just, it, I, I'm just overwhelmed with it. That's all I can say. Yeah, there's a lot of, there are not too many reviews on it yet, but there are very good reviews on Amazon. And a lot of people, uh, Leslie Keene, the New York Times reporter, and Dinah Walsh Pasulka, who's probably been on your show, uh, the author of American Cosmic, and um, Dr. Christopher Green, who's worked with worked with me, have all given it given it very nice comments. So it's I'm hoping it'll it'll be a success. I think it will. Now, Whitney, again, uh, where can they find your podcast? Uh, you go to my website unknowncountry.com, and you can find it there. And you can also subscribe to the uh, to the website. Uh, or you can listen to the free part of it. The website is largely free, but I always like subscribers if they are willing because I, you know, it's either them or I gotta have help to, uh, to, uh, uh, I gotta have help. I can't do it alone. Well, it's hard. People don't realize that. People, you know, don't even realize even my show. They just don't realize that the bigger you get, the more listeners you have. It actually starts costing you a lot of money. That's right. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, again, you know, Dreamland is, you know, I remembered when Art had it. I was so ecstatic that it went to you, really. Oh, wow. Well, it, it unfortunately went to the wrong person that he shouldn't have given it to me because, you know, I'm Mr. UFO and. Not many of the stations wanted anything, anyone as weird as me on their on their air. So it ended I, up killing the show. I think that's but changed. Not, not not completely because it's a big podcast now, boy. It's very oh, yeah. successful. Oh yeah, things have changed. You know what? It's funny. My listenership is huge when we're talking about abductions, UFOs, Earth changes, and cryptics. If I talk anything else, boy, I could. I could have stayed and watched TV and not even bother going on. So, again. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm going to let you go because you, I know you're tired. You sound tired. And Yeah, I, I, am, I guess I am tired. I, I'm feeling kind of tired. And uh, I'm sorry about that, but I've been doing a lot of interviews today, not just uh, a lot. So, um, uh, I um uh it's been a struggle. I but understand, my friend. The book is the book and maybe it will do what it's supposed to do. That's my hope. Well, you know what? If you feel you've been abducted or if you've seen a UFO or you're just really in ufology, this book is a book you need to get. And it's by Whitney. It's a new world. Go on Amazon and get it. If you don't get it, then that's your problem because you're not going to realize what you're missing. Whitney, you have a great weekend that's coming up, my friend. Thank you very much. And you take care. You too. Okay, we'll catch you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Anyway, we've got another great guest coming up here after the break. Uh, Russell, we're going to be talking about his book, UFOs. And uh, again, check out this book, A New World. I'm only a fourth way through it. 
But I tell you, it's opened my eyes, it's opened my heart, and I do feel, I do feel that they are trying to communicate with us, and I don't think we understand how they're doing it. Get this book, seriously. If you know somebody who's been abducted or had any type of encounter with a UFO, alien, or whatever, think about it. A new world. Great Christmas gift. We'll be back in two and a half minutes. You're listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio with Gary and uh, James Chrisbaum. of religious texts which have their own agenda their lies a silver thread of truth mixed in with propaganda be careful what you say to those with whom you'll be at odds who've taken on the dogma in the pantheon of Listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio After Dark with our host, Gary Anderson. And that is me. I'm still recovering with uh you know from Whitney being on the show again. His book, A New World. You need to read it. Seriously. It takes a lot to blow me away. James, you're you know what? I'm gonna after I'm done with it, I'm gonna mail this book to you. Because I, it's going to open your eyes up to a lot of things. I, like I said, I'd only read a fourth of it. And I tell you, 
it, it's got me really thinking now more than ever. And maybe that's why I'm kind of a, in a downer here today about it, because it's opened my brains up to, you know, alien abductions, implants, and how they communicate. Uh, yeah, my my eyes are open. I've got a lot I could tell you. I'm not, uh, maybe tomorrow I'll tell you when I, we talk to each other that I, I, I kind of just receive, so to speak. But, yeah, there's a lot going on, there, that's for sure. And, listen, um, I'd be thrilled to read that book. Like I say, I, his first book blew me away, not to mention all the other ones. It's subtle. It's, you know, in the book, it's like subtle. They give you subtle answers where you you wouldn't expect it but there they are they don't come out and just say what it is i don't think they know how to communicate to our level our intelligent level that could be the issue maybe we're not intelligent enough to understand them so they have to do it subtly well that and they're, they're i think they're because I think all the universe, the main foundation of all of it is frequency and vibrations, and and with comes what comes with that is synchronicity, like he touched on, and I think that has a lot to do with uh, communicating or picking up signs or what they're trying to say or or anything else like that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I was blown away with him, and uh, no, we had a I had to throw in art there because he was a good friend of art, and you know, just we had to make that little you know, short uh, bond there. Well, yeah, yeah, no no doubt about it. I mean, Art has touched a lot of people's lives. He still is, even though he's not here. Oh, yeah, so yeah he's going to for many years. It's like watching Andy Griffith show. You know, the Andy Griffith show is, Hello. you know, st- oh, hi, Russell. Uh, James, hi. Uh, we'll be right with you, Russell. Uh, you know, okay. the Andy Griffith show, how many years has that been showing on, 50 years on TV? It's showing virtually every major city across the country 50 years later you know the art bell is going to be the same way 50 years from now people are going to be tuning in and listening to art bell and a lot of the stuff that art talked about is coming true today or it's just as reverent today as it was in 1995 how's that that's true, and here's another little food for thought. All these radio waves that's been going out for 20-plus years of Art Bells and everybody else's, these aliens are going to hear these interviews, so that ought to be interesting. It should be. Now, we're going to be talking about a gentleman who wrote a book, a great book on overlords of, well, I'm going to let him tell you. Russell, are you still there? Yes. How's your day going? Oh, it's just fine. I, I listen to uh, Whitley Stryber. I actually feel quite honored to be on a back-to-back show with him, and he said a couple of key things that I'm going to be looking into. Um, so that was great to hear him. Oh, yeah. You... And I'm looking forward to his uh, the audio version of his book, A New World, because I do this strange thing where I listen to Bluetooth speakers with audiobooks all night, and uh, my dreams are choreographed by the information that's coming in my ears. And um, it started out a little awkward where the characters in my dreams would speak the words of the book, and it's turned into something completely different after a couple of years of doing this. And I learn a lot by doing this method. It works. You know what I do is every night I go to bed, what few hours I do sleep a day. That's something I had in common with Whitney is I go to bed at night, and the first thing I do is I pick out, uh, well, I listen to Art Bell all night long. 
And my wife sometimes gets upset. Are you listening to Art again? I go, yeah, because you know what? This, like I said, what he was saying back in 92 or 95 or 1999 is still is irreverent to what's going on today. So I mean, and, and you know what? It just opens my mind up. So when I get a guest on, I'm pretty much well versed in what they're going to be talking about. So it's all there. It's in my brain. But I'll tell you what, I read a fourth of the book so far because he, he got it to me. I got it yesterday. And I'll tell you, it, it, it's really opened my eyes up a lot. How cool. that these, you know, uh, aliens or how they're trying to make contact with us. They're not making contact with us, but people would even think how they're doing it. It's, it's like it, they do it in a, such a subtle way. You don't even realize it. And once you discover it, like Whitney has, then it starts making sense. And I can't wait to get in the halfway mark of the book because, like I said, I started it. And I'll tell you what, I almost didn't get on the air on time tonight because you know what I was doing? I was reading it. <laughs> well, that's when you know you got a good book when you can't put it down. Oh, yeah. Now, why don't you tell the listeners about your book and what made you decide you wanted to write a book about this? Well, it was just sort of a natural progression. Uh, just to give a little background, uh, I grew up on the Space Coast down in Titusville, Florida. In fact, I just uh, got back from a visit with some childhood friends. We used to go down to the Indian River and watch all the Apollo moon rockets go off. And um, I was always of a very scientific bent, sort of what they call a material reductionist, where consciousness is the uh, epiphenomena of an organized brain, and that when you die, you're simply unconscious forever. I was brought up with fundamentalist Christianity and um, started asking my poor mother questions she couldn't answer about the age of 13, you know, like how Noah could get 27 million species on a 450-foot boat 4,400 years ago. And uh, I started doing my own research, wrote a book in 2000 about that. And then um, in 2009, on August 18th, I had a pretty classic near-death experience with some uh, anomalies attached to it in which I encountered um, what, you know, what I would refer to as uh, etheric presences where I, positive, I got a positive ID on uh, many of them. And uh, the strangest part of that was I encountered a transcendent version of myself, which uh, informed me that as I am in a physical body, I also have a different version of myself that exists in uh, what we would call uh, another plane of existence or in the far future or whatever you want to tag it. So it's changed my perspective on this physical life. I now consider myself uh, just like an electron when you measure it is in superposition with a probability cloud. I think this applies to the whole physical universe. But how I came to write the book is um, after I had this near-death experience in '09. I was invited to a haunted house, and I watched all the people uh, bring all their EVP equipment and their full-spectrum cameras and all that. Now, of course, I was very still remain skeptical. I kind of had my foot in two worlds. But I looked into that and uh, studied ghosts for a while, and then I ran across uh, the work of Dr. Kenneth Ring, who wrote a book called The Omega Project, and that made the connection between um, alien abductions and near-death experiences, and that really fascinated me. So I delved for the first time, I cracked a book on UFOs, which I always considered uh, 
beneath me, and I found out that it was above me, that there's a very complex uh, long-term uh, phenomena in which non-human intelligences have been interacting in various ways with humans throughout the ages, back to the cavemen that uh, drew disks and aliens and stuff on cave walls 40,000 years ago, all the way up to the present day. And it was kind of a, a jaw-dropping moment that a uh, the UFO phenomena, which I always relegated to science fiction, was actually a very real phenomenon. There's actually quite a bit of data about it. Um, Dr. Bruce Goldberg mentions um, Wapley's Law, I can't remember how to pronounce it, where if testimonies from around the world by people who don't know each other and they uh, report the same details, then what they're saying is probably true. You know, so there's quite a bit of uh, data accumulated. So I, I naively started uh, trying to accumulate all the classic cases. I was going to write a notebook with all the classic cases uh, from antiquity, uh, read the book of Enoch and uh, the references in Ezekiel and the Bible and uh, the early paleo sightings, the uh, great airship mystery of 1897, the ghost rockets, uh, the whole shebang, and then 1947 forward with all the uh, tremendous number of sightings and interactions with euphonauts that people have had. And what I found out was that it was an impossible task, but I already had several hundred pages so what I did is start classifying them by decade, and uh, it just eventually kind of dawned on me around 2015 or so, uh, six years after my NDE, that a lot of people might be interested in a, a organized version of this information because I had to blow through about 300 books, and not everybody has time to do that. So I condensed all of the information and all the speculations and all the theories and conclusions that about 40 different uh, major UFO researchers came to after devoting decades to it and uh, put it in a very condensed, organized fashion. So in my book, or uh, Overlords of the Singularity, I've got uh, the whole progression from the NDE to the ghost research to the delve into UFOs and cryptids, uh, and so forth, and um, put it all together in a great big giant ball of metaphenomena with all the various uh, uh, ideas about it attached. Um, so that's how it came to be. It just hit me that this might be something that people might want to read. And, and my intention was to write a book where if somebody is busy and they don't have a lot of time and they're not really familiar with the whole paranormal uh, UFO field, that they could re read my book, which is 545 pages, and pretty much get an entire history and synopsis of how a lot of these mysterious phenomena that are happening uh, on the planet, including missing people and the whole nine yards, uh, may fit into the same meta-phenomena. And um, since I wrote the book, I've gotten really big into uh, trying to understand quantum mechanics as uh, much as I can. I've read a lot since my book was published uh, with uh, Dr. Carlo Rovelli. He's an entire Italian uh, loop quantum gravity physicist, and he's written a couple of excellent books, The Order of Time and Reality is Not What It Seems. And um, Sean Carroll, Dr. Sean Carroll, uh, uh, there's something deeply hidden and the big picture. I would recommend those two books. So an even expanded picture of where I was coming from in 2016 it has occurred since then. 
uh, in the last three years. So it's an ongoing learning process. We will never completely understand who these visitors are that are interacting with us with the perceptual apparatus that we have. And what I, what I noticed in the research is that many authors like John Kill and even back to Mead Lane and Ivan Sanderson and all these folks, uh, Jacques Fillet, there was an undercurrent of a uh, technological progression or a technological aspiration, and it hit me at some point. These people are talking about the impending singularity. So in the book, I go into the history of the singularity back to I.J. Good in 1965, a science fiction writer, Werner Wenge, who coined the phrase, uh, Ray Kurzweil, who wrote The Singularity is Near. So I personally tentatively accept the idea that uh, part and parcel of the interaction that non-human intelligences have had with the human race is going to culminate in this uh, pending phenomena that we refer to as the technological singularity. So that's it in a nutshell. Well, I got to ask you a question too. Which, uh, what type of near-death experience? What happened? Okay. Well, on August uh, the 18th of uh, 2009. Um, I started out in life as a salesman. I've sold about everything, but I, I got dissatisfied with my uh, psychological interaction between me and the rest of humanity, so I wanted something different. So I went to college for four years and became an occupational therapist, and I've worked for about 22 years here locally as an occupational therapist, and that doesn't have anything to do with getting people jobs. It has to do with restoring independence and in people who have lost their physical or mental ability to function, dressing, grooming, bathing, toileting, feeding, basic stuff, whether through wheelchair seating and positioning or adaptive equipment or exercises or whatever they need to get back to normal. But um, I just went home uh, one afternoon. I was going to mow my grass and then go back to work. And I opened up the garage door, started my lawnmower, and I went about 15 feet. And a very heavy fatigue came over me. And my, the first thing I thought was uh, dehydration. So I went inside the house and I hydrated myself and I laid down in the air conditioning and kind of flip-flopped until I started feeling better. So I went back out and started the lawnmower up again and, and went about another 15 feet. And the same thing happened only about 10 times worse. And I suddenly realized uh, for sure what was happening to me. I was having a, a heart attack that was probably going to kill me. And um, a lot of things uh, crossed my mind. Uh, stupid things cross your mind when you know you're going to pass because I sort of felt like uh, my curiosity was going to be satisfied. I was sort of agnostic or whatever you want to call it at that point in time. And the first emotion that I actually felt wasn't fear or terror. It was uh, curiosity and anticipation about, well, now I'm going to know. So I didn't want to hit my head on the rocks when I fell down and died. So um, I started going around around circle like a dog does when it's doing its business because I didn't want to hit my head on gravel and people find me bloody. And then before I had a chance to do that, I realized I was going. And uh, I stood back up, and for some reason I felt compelled to look in the direction of the sun. It was a nice, uh, sunny August day. And uh, I would later come to know this as the Oz factor that a lot of the uh, UFO researchers talk about with UFO encounters where time sort of stops, stands still, and it's silent. Uh, all the uh, road noises and the birds are, are silent. And um, a very surprising thing 
happened, which was um, familiar entities, people that I'm quite familiar with, uh, started uh, accumulating in my presence. And I got a positive ID in my mind, you know, who these people were. And to my surprise, uh, um, I was there, which was really weird. And the, um, the other people, some of them were living their lives. I, I mean, I know these people to be alive and living their life here on earth. And that really puzzled me. And, um, I was all prepared to go through the veil and reunite with, you know, whatever this version of my higher self or whatever this was. And um, with all these people who I felt so tied to and familiar with, like family. But I got like a an instant download in my mind. It was like a choice. And I would come later on to realize that this choice phase is very, very common in the near-death experience literature where it's like, okay, if you want to live, you got to make up your mind. Are you sure you want to? You're welcome to come on over to the other side where we are and re-emerge back into this other reality like you're waking up from a dream. Um, but life here on Earth is very precious, and there was a couple of people in my life where relationships had gone afoul that came to mind, and I wanted to rectify those. So I made an instant decision to uh, uh, to live uh, since I was being given a choice, and I got the impression that I needed to make up my mind pretty darn quick. So that whole thing went away. I went back in my uh, house. I got the keys to my car, and I, I had total confidence that I wasn't going to die on the way to the hospital. Most people would have called an ambulance, but I drove myself in my uh, 2000 triple black uh, Camaro convertible, and I pulled up here to Henry County Hospital and uh, got out, and I walked in to the information desk with the keys in my hand, and ask them if they'd park my car and bring me my keys to wherever they would uh, uh, take me. So they took me in a little room, and I hear morphine. Uh, the doctor shouting out. He confirms that I'm having a major heart attack, but they weren't really prepared to deal with me at the Henry County Hospital, so they had to ship me up to Muncie, which is about a 40-minute drive. And my first reaction was, oh, boy, I get an ambulance ride, because as a kid, <laughs> You know, I always saw the ambulances with the lights flashing and everything, and I wondered what the people on the stretchers were feeling. And it's like now I was going to find out. So when they wheeled me out back in the sunshine, load me up in the ambulance, I remembered my friends that showed up in my yard, these uh, etheric entities that I got uh, some positive IDs on. And I felt very comforted by that. So I had total confidence that I was going to make it. Uh, I wound up uh, going to the Muncie uh, Ball Hospital at Muncie. And when I got there, the surgeons were all scrubbed up, ready to go, and they gave me another choice to make. First, I had to decide whether to live or not. Now I have to decide whether I want to get a quadruple bypass or uh, try some stents, which may or may not work. So they gave me the rundown of this, and uh, after having the bypass explained to me, I elected to try the stents first because that's a lot less invasive. So I got to watch that. I was laying down, and I don't know what kind of drugs they gave me, but it was really good because when they stuck the big, thick needle in my femoral artery and uh, blood goes everywhere, I was like, hmm, you know, that would really hurt, but I really don't care right now. <laughs> so uh, I got to watch it on the TV where they showed me the collapsed arteries. They're explaining this to me. I got a doctor above me with uh, these little bifocal, these uh, like uh, microscope goggles on, and he was an expert. I forget the doctor's name, but he, he was guiding me through the whole thing. And when the little Chinese handcuff gets up there in the artery uh, going to a completely, it's like a hose where you just twisted it. You know, it's like, this isn't going to work. It's going to break. 
and it pops open, and they did number one and did number two, and they said they got them both in. So um, one of the people that showed up in my yard was a woman that I had actually broken up with. Uh, we had dated about three years, and she wanted to get married, and I didn't. I'd already been married and divorced twice. So uh, she was on my mind. Well, when they wheeled me out, uh, guess who was standing there with tears running down her face, uh, mascara running, uh, was Julie. Uh, so as they took me to my room that I was going to spend one night in, in recovery from the uh, femoral stick, they, they, they have to put pressure on that so that it heals properly and, and they watch you overnight. Uh, I told myself, I'm going to fix this. Uh, so I chose an alternate path. I mean, my original decision was that I didn't want to get married ever again. And when I passed her, because they wouldn't let her in because she wasn't family. And I felt really terrible about that, that she came to see me and they wouldn't let her in. Um, about two months later, that October 30th, uh, we flew to Las Vegas and got married. And we've been married for 10 years, and I'm really happy that uh, I rectified that relationship. And there's a couple of other relationships that I've successfully uh, rectified. And that was one of the major things takeaways that I got from this near-death experience is that you want harmonious relationships with the people that you love, and if they're broken in some way or not what they should be, uh, we need to put effort into it to rectify it before we actually pass from this world. So I've done my best, you know, in the last 10 years. Uh, you know, like I said, I just got back from Florida. There's a dear friend I met when I was eight years old, and it's been six years since I saw him. So I took the time and I went down there. We flew a uh, control line model airplane for the first time in 52 years. It was great. So um, that uh, is that whole experience. But then uh, I became very, very curious about everything paranormal. So I just immersed myself. I wound up buying uh, bookcases at Walmart. Now my man cave is uh, surrounded by about 10 bookcases stuffed with all kinds of books that I've accumulated on uh eBay or Amazon, I, I buy used books, you know, to save money. And I highlight them heavily. They're not going to be worth anything when I go to resell them because they're heavily highlighted because they got uh, great ideas. But one of the things Whitley Stryber said in your previous interview was people don't understand the gulf that exists between our world and theirs. That hit me right between the eyes because that's something I've been very uh, focused on in trying to understand um quantum mechanics and how the physical universe can be in superposition with an eternal infinite probability field and how parallel worlds are uh, continually decohering from the world that we know based on different decisions that people make. Uh, there's an alternative universe, so says Dr. Sean Carroll and a whole bunch of others that buy into the multiverse theory, uh, where they're continually being spawned and there's uh, all these alternative selves out there in these other uh, parallel timelines, which is very fascinating. So that's what I've immersed myself in to for the last three years anyway. Well, hey, Russell, we need to take a break. And then after the break, we got a five minute newscast. So you got about eight minutes to go get a cup okay. of java, a cup of tea or what have you. Uh, I'm going to put All you right. on mute. So don't hang up. Uh, we'll be back uh, talking to Russell about his book, about the paranormal, UFOs, aliens, and all that stuff uh, in about eight minutes. You're listening to me, Gary, on Night Dreams Talk Radio After Dark.
Night Dreams Talk Radio, After Dark, wants to give a big shout-out to all the truckers that listen to our show. Night Dreams Talk Radio Network brings you the world paranormal news with James Creechbaum. Now, the latest news. This is James Creechbaum with the Paranormal World News. Shots fired during an attempted Bigfoot break-in. Yes, a man in Bainbridge Township, Ohio, told, told police that he had been trying to dissuade an intruding Sasquatch. The 60-year-old uh, Lorraine Street resident called 911 on the morning of October 22nd after becoming convinced that a Bigfoot was trying to break into his house. Fearful for his life, he fired his gun into the backyard in an effort to scare the intruder away. When officers arrived, they asked the man if a bear could have been responsible. It ain't no beeping bear because it was jiggling my doorknob, he told them. The creature, which he described as being seven foot tall, returned a second time, prompting him to fire a second warning shot because he was concerned that it was trying to go after his dog. He told the police that the Bigfoot was a regular in the area because his neighbor feeds, feeds it bananas. He also maintained that the local girl who went missing had been taken away by the creature. There was no evidence of animal tracks in the man's yard, and he did not appear to be intoxicated. As things stand, it remains unclear what, if anything, had tried to break into the man's house. Now, officers, uh, concerning the Nimitz, officers were ordered to erase UFO evidence. Former USS Nimitz officers claimed that unknown individuals ordered them to hand over the recordings. One of the most intriguing new UFO cases that have come out in, in light to light in recent years. The USS Nimitz incident, which occurred in 2004 during a training exercise approximately 100 miles from San Diego, saw U.S. fighter pilots from the Nimitz carrier strike group encounter an unidentified flying object. Footage of the UFO was later published in 2017 and subsequently confirmed to be genuine. But given the circumstances, should there not have been a great deal more evidence? Now, a growing number of veterans who had served aboard the fleet at the time have described how mysterious individuals had shown up to pre prevent any such evidence from getting out. One of the men, Gary Voorhees, recalled how two unknown individuals had turned up on the USS Princeton. These two guys show up on a helicopter, which wasn't uncommon, but shortly after they arrived, maybe 20 minutes, I was told by my chain of command to turn over all the data recordings for the, for the AGIS system, he said. Another officer, P.J. Hughes, was asked by his commanding officer to hand over all the recently secured hard drives from the E-2 Hawkeye early warning aircraft. The men were not on the ship earlier, and I didn't see them come on, he said. We put the drives in the bags. He took them. Then... He and two anonymous officers left. Commander David Fravor, who was one of the pilots involved in intercepting the UFO, previously reported that he had obtained tapes of the encounter, which later disappeared from his locker. Someone must have been very keen to ensure that details of the incident were kept under wraps. Whoever they were, they must have believed that the Tic Tac UFO was that the Tic Tac UFO was secret worth hiding. 
Also, a 3D image of Noah's Ark set to be set to be revealed. The Turkish Ark hunter has captured a subterranean image images of what he believes to be the real Noah's Ark. The final whereabouts of the biblical vessel have long remained a topic of a heated debate among historians, with many unable to agree upon whether or not it ever actually existed at all. Among those who do believe that the story of Noah actually happened, some maintain that the ark has already been found at the Dura Pinar site in Mount Tindoric in eastern Turkey. This large vessel-shaped formation first gained attention back in 1959, and there have been numerous expeditions to the site over the years by archaeologists hoping to prove that it really is Noah's Ark. Now, a film crew headed up by the veteran Ark hunter Cam Sertensen has reportedly visited the site with modern imaging equipment and has obtained 3D images of the alleged vessel, vessel that lies underneath. It isn't exactly clear how the images were obtained, but according to reports, it involves sending electronic signals underground via cables. These are the actual images of the Noah's Ark, said Suristam. They are neither fake nor simulated. They show the entire ship buried underground. Sadly, though, it looks as though we will have to wait a while longer to actually see these images as they are going to debate in a new documentary entitled Noah's Ark 2, a follow-up to Sintersen's early documentary Noah's Ark, which was released in 2017. Whether or not they are, they will help to solve the mystery once and for all, however, remains to be seen. Next newscast will be tomorrow night. You're listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio After Dark with our host, Gary Anderson. And that is me. Boy, I just can't believe this week has gone by so fast. One more day and tomorrow is Friday. And then we have the weekend. And then I'm going to be spending the weekend uh, and changing things around in the studio again and again and again. Well, what can I say? I, you know, I, I got to get more bookcases in. I, I got so many books coming in, James, you know, in the paranormal uh, that mm-hmm. it's just, I get it like five or six books a day, every day of the month. I, I could open a library or a used bookstore at this point. I thought I had a big library, but I, I believe yours is probably bigger than mine. It's probably right up there with Ronnie Reagan's. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I can tell you this. I have boxes of boxes and boxes full of books because I just don't have no place to put them. Well, anyway, back with Russell. How you doing, my friend? Good. So what do you think is going on? I don't know if you heard the uh, the show the other night. We had Terry Lovelace on. Uh, I think it was like his third time being on. He was a former U.S. Attorney General, a lawyer in many years in the medical field uh, in Texas. He was abducted in a, with his friend while he was in the Air Force. He was a medic. And they decided to go out camping over a weekend. And they thought they were in a state park. Well, it turned out to be federal land. But during the night, they saw this weird light. And it kept getting closer and closer. And then they they saw it land. And then they saw some, you know, creatures come out. And the next thing he knows that he's being abducted and going through, I guess, experiments. And it, it, it was scary what he explained. Remember that, James? Oh, it was beyond scary. I'll tell you what, it was bone chilling. It, it's, I am still, I still think about the, the, his interviews, um, every day. It, it, parts of it come to my mind. I'm like, wow. 
Yeah, so if you haven't heard it, uh, Russell, you need to go to the archives and listen to both of them. But the one... Well, uh, one of my immediate goals is to listen to all 357 of your episodes. I see on the website and uh, dig into the archives because I, I imagine you have some really fascinating interviews on there. Oh, yeah, but I, if, uh, Terry Lovelace is probably the most, next to Whitney's, uh, the most credible, the most scary uh, what he basically said, he, him and his buddy were lucky. They were released, and they were let go. And the, 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 that's when it really got interesting because he made the remarks or told somebody, you know, because he's in the military, what happened to him. And then the guys in the suits came, and they went as far as even getting him sodium, sodium pentothal. But it, it, it's scary what he in. Dude, he he said that here's all uh, when he was on the spacecraft, he's naked, he's holding his clothes, his friend is naked holding his clothes. Then he notices women, children, and men standing holding their clothes, and then he hears screaming of pain from women and stuff like that. They were the unlucky ones, evidently, because they weren't returned. He was lucky; he was returned. Well, if you read uh, David Pilates' books about missing 411, uh, a lot of people probably don't come back because there's about 30,000 people a year that vanish from the face of the earth, and no one knows where they go. Um, you were asking earlier what I think is going on. It's it's multifaceted. It's not just one thing. Uh, Jim Lorenzen used to talk about this, saying that people try to connect it to one big meta phenomena, but there, it may be that there's uh, several independent, uh, equally disturbing phenomena going on on the planet. But um, one of them uh, is flesh and blood creatures who um, are just like you and I. They, they bleed, and they, they're biological creatures. And there are researchers like Morris K. Jessup, who, who wrote the case for the UFO and the expanding case for the UFO, that concluded that a lot of the uh, flesh and blood creature sightings are going in between the Earth and the Moon. Uh, he thinks the Earth-Moon binary system is where a lot of these creatures are located. And there's also, um, from the probes that we've sent out into our local solar system, it appears that many of our moons have heat signatures inside them. Several of the moons of Saturn uh, have really odd-shaped heat signatures inside. So there's um, there's evidence accumulating that our local solar system might actually be um, populated. And where do these creatures come from that are living in our local solar system? Uh, this goes back to Graham Hancock's work in something he calls the Younger Dryas Impact Event of 12,920 years ago, which is thought to have spawned all of the world's uh, flood legends. On the commercial, I, I heard him mentioning Noah's Ark. And uh, the story of Noah, as it exists in the Old Testament, is actually a rehashed, retold derivative of a 1,700-year previous story of the Epic of Gilgamesh about Untapishtim, the son of Upartutu. And it's thought that the flood tale that has all the same elements of the Noah tale, only Sumerian, in Sumerian cuneiform, uh, was a racial memory from this very real event that happened 12,920 years ago, uh, which it's thought that a fragmented comet uh, hit the Earth and scorched it and flooded it. But previous to that, 
there seems to have been a globally interconnected megalithic civilization with uh, people 10 or 12 feet tall with these giant skulls that have a different suture than Homo sapiens that have a, a nerve foramen in the back of their skull where a nerve exits that we don't have. And the cradleboarding phenomena throughout the world appears to be an attempt to emulate this. Uh, uh, they refer to them as Homo capensis. And the Homo capensis people, uh, if you listen to researchers like Eli Marzulli on the trail of the Nephilim, uh, the Homo capensis was created by an ET race, a tall-skulled ET race, as a hybrid between Homo sapiens and their race. So there's a lot uh, uh, about a lost chapter of humanity prior to this catastrophe that happened. And other researchers like Jim Mars uh, thinks that some of these more advanced people went off-planet to escape the catastrophe or inside the Earth or in the honeycomb Earth, as we talk about it. There's apparently several ecosystems inside the Earth um, where um, people can live. And that brings up the time factor because... Uh, when you throw a ball up in the air, the reason it comes back is it's trying to gravitate to where time flows slower. Time flows slower on the surface of the Earth than it does in space or it does even in the mountains. So if you go closer and closer to the 4,000-mile-down center of the Earth, time will continue to slow down. Now, how much, I don't know. If they could stay down there for, you know, 500 years and then come up here and, you know, uh Several thousand years have passed, who knows. But um, I've been trying to get a hold of uh, Dr. Sean Carroll or Dr. Carlo Rivelli and ask them if there is, in fact, a mathematical formula that would demonstrate how much slower time passes for any populations that uh, might exist. I won't put it to them that way, or they'll think I'm a nut. So I'm just going to say, let's just say somebody was living 3,000 miles down under. You know, how, how much slower would time pass for them? So uh, that was the biggest shock in uh, Dr. Ravelli's material is that what we consider our present moment is not shared as a common moment throughout the universe. In fact, uh, Dr. Carroll mentions, uh, I believe he's the one that mentioned that there's somebody out there in the universe whose present moment correlates with a moment in your life when you was four years old, which implies that that moment is just as real right now as it was when you perceived it as your present moment back when you were four years old. So time is uh, very flexible and manipulatable. So anybody flying around out there intergalactically is not only traveling through physical space, but they're traveling through time. Um, so one of the things that uh, one of my favorite uh, authors, John A. Keel, mentioned a lot is that the euphonauts that people are having encounters with First thing they ask is, what is your time cycle, indicating that they may, might be some form of time traveler, possibly from our future or whatnot. And um, they also seem to know everything about us. They know our future. They know the impending disasters that we're going to face, the earth changes you're speaking of, and uh, all about us. So there's the, there's the flesh and blood uh, creatures that are evidenced by cases like Antonio de las Boas in 1957 and in Peter Curry. Uh, I believe that was in the 2000s, where 
um, researcher Bill Chalker actually did DNA evidence on a, on a hair that was left behind on uh, the sexual encounter that Peter Corey had with uh, uh, what he was perceiving as an alien. And it turned out that it was a very uh, unusual combination of uh, Chinese mongoloid and Laplander, which didn't really exist in Australia. So uh, apparently there's uh, breeding experiments to take off world, to terraform other planets, or for whatever purposes that they have for uh, creating genetic hybrids between Homo sapiens and, and other races. So that endeavor is going on. Uh, you know, maybe they're just interested in terraforming planets. Uh, perhaps there's a, a trade route. You know, who knows? We can only speculate. And then the other type is the more paranormal from the spirit world uh, type uh, entity. Uh, they've been referred to as the elementals. Uh, there was the whole fairy uh, uh, culture. And researchers like Dr. Jacques Fillet believe that the uh, entities that presented themselves as the fairies and the trolls and whatnot are the same uh, spirit entities that can transmogrify energy from an adjacent space-time realm into our realm and appear pretty much any way they want to. And the uh, presentations that humans are encountering morphs as our consciousness evolves and as our technolo technological progress evolves. So right now we're in the space age, and we're perceiving them as euphonauts coming out of flying saucers, whereas in days of old uh, we saw them as the gods or whatever. Are you still there? Oh, yeah, and I'm just listening to what you have to say. And you know what? I honestly think, because I do feel that our planet has been rebooted several times. And the reason why I'm saying this, weird things are coming out from Antarctica James, the other night, uh, found a, a, a picture on Google. Now, where did you find that picture at, James, about the staircase? Yeah, it, you can go to Google Maps, I believe it was, uh, and um, it shows a staircase. And, and they even said, hopefully, they don't take it down. But, yeah, it shows staircase and pillars, and it was very intriguing, i got to tell you. And that would put us pre-man. Pre, pre That's the scary part, that we know it. And then a couple of days before that, uh, Mary Joyce, who runs a uh, uh, North, uh, was it Cashiers, uh, UFOcashiers.com or something of that nature, she uh, yeah. sent me a link over, uh, again, Google, and it turned out to be, it looks like the remains of a castle, a uh, medieval castle in Antarctica that is thawing out, and you can see the you know it, the footprints of the castle, and it, it's really weird stuff is coming. So I mean, who knows about uh, what our past is, let alone our future, and and when we originated, and uh, you know all that is it's it's getting really uh, interesting here and intensely interesting. It is. Uh, people like Michael Cremo that wrote uh, Forbidden Archaeology. It's 900 pages of what he calls uparts, out-of-place artifacts, where people digging in coal that's dated 300 million years, and they find a hammer or a, a gold necklace or just something weird. Uh, there's another author, uh, Sharon Delarose, that she goes under the pen name Lars Bergen, but uh, she's convinced through all of her decades of research that the uh, the Asir, uh, the Nordic gods, were actually real entities that came and went uh, to Earth and back through uh, portals, you know, through wormholes and whatnot. And that at some point uh, their return and her uh, 
her depiction of the end of the world according to Nordic mythology is, is pretty awesome. And she's got a couple of audio books that are really interesting. But yeah, I mean, people are doing all this research and, and uh, researching on the internet and finding all kinds of information. Uh, you've got the Piri Reese maps that were drawn from much older sources that has an accurate coastline of Antarctica uh, prior to when there was ice on it. I mean, somebody mapped the whole world from the air at some point. I mean, that's the logical conclusion that you'll come to. And the Sumerians, you know, there's a depiction in stone of the solar system with an accurate depiction of the sizes of all the planets. Uh, how did they know this? Uh, Pluto wasn't discovered until uh, Clyde Tombaugh looked at it with a telescope in 1930. So how is there a picture of Pluto in 6,000-year-old stone in the ancient Sumerian culture? So somehow this knowledge was uh, existed thousands and thousands of years ago, and it's been imparted uh, to the primitives. There's one uh, theory that the primitive society, Homo sapiens, coexisted with this advanced civilization prior to the Younger Dryas impact event, and everybody had to go off planet, undersea, or underground to get away from it. It was kind of like a nuclear winter. We went through about a thousand years of darkness, and that's probably why there's a lot of underground cities, sort of like Darren Kuyu and other cities that have been found that hold entire populations underneath the earth. Apparently they were trying to get away from the cold or get away from something. But and a, a brand new picture of our history is emerging. When I was in grade school, we were taught that civilization is only 6,000 years old. And prior to the pyramids, uh, we were going around in little hunter-gathering clans uh, eating bananas. But <laughs> oh, the yeah. Great Pyramid has 2.3 uh, million stones, uh, some of which weigh 80 tons. So, I mean, there's absolutely no way that in 20 years, 2.3 million stones could be assembled that fast. That's one stone every two minutes for 20 years, uh, quarried, cut, polished, and mounted perfectly with no mistakes and no practice uh, pyramids. So there was a tremendous mathematical knowledge. To build the, the Great Pyramid required at least trigonometry, if not calculus. So there's evidence accumulating that there's uh, there was great greater knowledge in our past and possibly an advanced civilization coexisting with a more primitive civilization. Um, there's one group of beings called the Apkalu sages that after this catastrophe that happened 12,000 years ago, uh, they traveled the earth and imparted certain types of knowledge, you know, metallurgy, and, uh, herbs, and medicines, and, uh, and technologies to the more primitive civilization. And uh, the interesting thing about the little statuettes that depict the Apkalu sages is that some of them look like uh, tall, bearded, European-looking guys with braided beards and stuff, and the other ones are reptilian humanoids. And apparently uh, both groups were traveling the world uh, teaching the uh, uh, primitive homo sapiens, you know, how to organize and uh, do agriculture and all that. And then you've got the Book of Enoch, you know, that talks about uh, his adventure and the fallen angels. That the Book of Enoch uh, actually uh, mentions by name, and that brings up another point: that any time the Bible mentions the word heaven, the accurate translation is uh, outer space or cosmos. So it's actually talking about the sky or space whenever it mentions heaven. So when you hear terms like fallen angels, you're really talking about extraterrestrials. That is very interesting. <laughs> yeah, and don't forget the uh, Dugon tribe, too. Look, look at all the knowledge they had yes. way before. Uh, they knew where a certain planet, and, and uh, I think it was Sirius A, and we didn't have even discovered it yet. 
Yeah, I thought it was Series B, but yeah, the Nomo uh, apparently had an encounter with the Dogon tribe. And then you've got other uh, interesting testimonies like uh, Zulu shaman Credo Mutwa, who says he's had an encounter with the Chitauri, you know, the reptilian humanoids. They found the uh, entire labyrinth underneath Los Angeles back in the 1930s. Legend has it the lizard people lived under there. So there's evidence for an indigenous uh, uh, reptilian humanoid race that is hanging out somewhere, either underground or undersea or off-planet. Even Dr. Carl Sagan said that no natural object can be hollow, and the Apollo program uh, rang the moon like a bell, so it's at least partially hollow. So even uh, Dr. Carl Sagan said that the moon may not, in fact, be an artificial object. So, yeah, we're just finding out about that. Phobos, uh, a moon of uh, Mars, is also likely hollow and probably artificial. So there's uh, the, the way I look at it, if I don't have firsthand experience of uh, something I touch, you know, I, I can't say for sure. You know, but um, I'm open to all kinds of testimonies about all kinds of things, and I just file it. And sometimes uh, what you would think were uh, disconnected dots actually connect. And that, those are the real aha moments uh, where, where you uh, are really glad that you dove into it when you can, can keep your mind open to things that may seem a little loopy at first, and then all of a sudden they make sense with a half a dozen of these other authors that don't even know the one that you're reading. Uh, they're writing independently, they're doing independent research, and they come to the same conclusions. And when you do that and you get into the you know, two, 300 book level, uh, it gets really interesting because there's a large picture of both Earth's history and galactic history. You get into uh, Tom Van Flanders' exploded uh, planet hypothesis where about three million years ago, according to his estimation, there was uh, an extra planet between Mars and Jupiter that exploded. And there's evidence all throughout the solar system. There's a moon of Saturn that's black on one side and white on the other. Uh, indicating that debris was just massively thrown out. And then you've got Dr. John uh, Brandenburg that ascertained um, isotopes of a weapons-grade nuclear explosion that occurred on Mars at some point in the distant past. So three million years ago, uh, the only thing that was running around on Earth, as far as we know, was these little australopithecine creatures, about four foot tall with a brain the size of an orange. And at two million years ago, suddenly overnight, uh, they grow three feet and their brain doubles. So this has led uh, people who used to teach biological evolution at universities, like Dr. Arthur David Horn, who taught at Colorado University for 14 years. He had to quit because he could no longer teach the standard story of evolution because he thinks we've had uh, genetic intervention by extraterrestrial races at a couple of different points in time. One would be that two million part where Australopithecine transformed into Homo erectus, and then there's three or 400,000 years ago uh, is a good candidate for a genetic intervention uh, by an ET race um, from Homo erectus to Homo sapiens. All of a sudden, there's no more Homo erectus, and Homo sapiens is running around. And the interesting thing about Homo erectus that walked this earth for almost 2 million years, about 1.8 million years, is the entire time that they were walking around in little clans, they only had one piece of technology. It was a bifaced uh, chipped stone axe. Uh, some people think they threw that into crowds of gazelles. Other people think they're vegetarians and they used it for chipping wood or building shelters. 
But um, that tells me that the Homo erectus clans cooperated with one another, that they didn't have the uh, uh, warmongering and the conflict that Homo sapiens does. So then you enter in uh, researchers like William Bromley that wrote The Gods of Eden, and he started out trying to uh, ascertain the underlying causes of war and concluded that there's two different extraterrestrial races interacting with humanity. One of them is manipulating us and using us for their own purposes, what he calls the custodial race. The other one is what he refers to as the maverick race that has our spiritual evolution in mind. Hi, Russell. We got to go on break for the radio stations. If you want to stay on about after the break for about another 15 minutes, I can accommodate you if you want. Yeah, that's fine. I'd love to. Okay, we'll be back in about two and a half minutes. You're listening to Night Dream Stock Radio After Dark with me, Gary, and James Kirschbaum and uh, Russell. And we'll be talking more about what he's talking about right after the break.
If you would like to hear Night Dreams Talk Radio on your local radio station, let them know. Tell them to check out www.nightdreamstalkradio.com. And thank you. You can advertise your business on Night Dreams Talk Radio, and you will be heard worldwide. Why not contact us at nightdreamstalkradio at gmail.com. Coming to you from some far point station, like a cosmic tumbleweed, both north and south of the Pleiades, here's your host, Gary Anderson. And that is me. Boy, I just can't wait for my wife to go Christmas shopping this weekend. I tell you, before Thanksgiving, yeah, I do always, we have had, well, we have eight children and a ton of grandkids, and it's going to be rather expensive this year for uh, Christmas, I can tell you, with about uh, 23 grandkids. Ah, what can I say? Ah, I, I wonder if I'm going to get a tree this year. Russell, are you still there? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a lot of presents to buy. I know. I, I know. <laughs> and I'm retired, supposedly. You never know it. I put about 12, 13, 14 hours or more a day into this show. I feel like I'm working now more than I did when I was working. I believe that. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of us that appreciate your work, though. I can't wait to dive into your archives. Well, don't go too far back because the show honestly stunk the first year I got back on because I was out of radio for 10 years to, you know, art talk me and coming back into radio. And the first year, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't like it at all. And they really started getting good. I would say, James, what, about six, seven months ago? Yeah, yeah, maybe a little longer. But, yeah, it's got good. You had good guests. And, um, you know, you just like anything else, you start out, you fine-tune it. You start out with 15 listeners with the motorcycle, went back into paranormal, and now you're up to maybe... I don't know. <laughs> I'll let you fill in that. Well, <laughs> on the internet, it fluctuates between six hundred and a mil- uh, hundred thousand to a million. But on twenty-two radio stations, too, the books come out. I have no idea, but I know it's more than fifteen. James, Let's put it this oh, yeah. way: unhappy at oh, that. Yeah, it's a lot more. That's for sure. I can tell by. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. But you're right; it's way more than fifteen. Yeah, maybe sixteen or seventeen by now. But you know, <laughs> I, I think these reptilians, you know, that maybe live under the ground, are some. How can I say this? Mary Joyce claims that on her website and to having her on my show that a government agent she knows real well, which she checked out his ID real well, claims that there is some type of humanoid that's working with the government uh, in an underground base in North Carolina, sharing technology in exchange they get to have a few humans for, well, dessert. Uh, Do you ever think uh, that is still going on or is going on, or do you think that's all disabled? Well, I'm aware of the people who are saying such things. And, um, you know, like I said, my strategy is just to file it and see where it coordinates with what other people do. I don't have personal experience with reptilian humanoids, so I am only uh, subject to the hearsay from people who say they do have such knowledge, and some of it coordinates with one another. There's actually quite a few people that uh, have that narrative that the U.S. government is working with extraterrestrials. You've got Emory Smith on Gaia saying that he worked in black projects and has met 
humanoid extraterrestrials. And um, I can't remember right offhand if he said he's actually met a reptilian. Corey Good, uh, various figures in ufology are saying such things. And I don't dismiss any of it because what I found out in 2009 in my near-death experience is that reality isn't anything like I thought it was previously. And it made me, it just cracked my mind open to all kinds of stuff. I don't, I don't write anything off as fantasy or fiction now. I, uh, the way I look at it is if it's fiction, it's very entertaining and interesting. If these uh, people in Gaia are, are fabricating this, well, it's it's good entertainment. But, you know, doggone it, it might just be true. Uh, one of the secret space program people, Randy Kramer, who I have the uh, had the opportunity to meet at a convention last year, uh, just passed the lie detector test. So some of these 20 and back people that say they've been off in the secret space program for 20 years, and retrograded uh, age-wise, um, are able to pass lie detector tests, which is fascinating. But back to the reptilians, um, one theory that's floating around out there is that when the dinosaurs uh, got extincted, uh, that there were extraterrestrial terraformers that didn't want all the life forms to go to waste. So they may have taken uh, the best potential for future evolution, which uh, would be a species called Troodon. It was a uh, big brained uh, reptilian, almost humanoid looking. There's even artist depictions on the internet of what Troodon would look like after uh, 66 million years of evolution, either in the Draco star system or wherever they took them off world. And, um, you know, they, they may be, you know, what people are calling the Draco reptilians or, or the Draco reptilians may be more in line with what all the world scriptures refer to as the jinn or uh, Satan and his demons or whatever. There's all kinds of stories about, um, you know, an evil reptilian uh, force that are able to shapeshift and appear to people. So there could be a higher density uh, version of reptilians that are interacting with humanity to manipulate us into the singularity for their own purposes. If you listen to Alana Freeland and her book, uh, uh, about the space fence lockdown, uh, there's plans, um, according to her research, along with Clifford Carnicom, uh, the aluminum and the barium and the nanoparticulates are already in everybody's system. And what this is designed to do in the future is be hooked up to a central uh, artificially intelligent grid uh, to control Homo sapiens uh, all the way down to the DNA level. Um, this, that this space fence that's being erected around the Earth um, is part of that central AI system uh, to turn it basically into a prison planet under the control of the Draco reptilians. Uh, Lynn Caston, um, in his uh, book, uh, Alien New World Order, talks a lot about that. So, yes, these creatures may exist. Uh, they, they, they may be indigenous reptoids that live under the ground that are elusive or don't want to be seen, and I certainly don't blame them. We're not the most friendly species. And then there may be uh, highly evolved, higher density. You know, we call this third density, and according to the raw material, there's fourth, fifth, sixth, and goes on up. Uh, allegedly, according to the raw material, the fourth density, the one just up from us, is the last one that's directly involved in the so-called cosmic war, the dualistic war between what we call good and evil. And then fifth and sixth, uh, they work by proxy. So they, they are not even directly involved, but they, and that would, um, 
coordinate with what you're talking about, that they have human proxies that are sort of doing their bidding. Then you got this other fellow, Stan Deho, who says he's working in a facility for the military in Australia with humanoid extraterrestrials that are working on high technology. And his superiors were worried at the time he was aware of this, that the technology was out of hand, that they didn't understand how any of it worked. So right now there's uh, 56 companies working on what's called AGI, Artificial General Intelligence, human-level artificial intelligence. And uh, Dr. Nick Bostrom from Oxford uh, claims that whoever creates the first AGI pretty much has the fate of the world in their hands. It really depends on the cognitive architecture that goes into the seed AI because once there's a human-level artificial intelligent uh being on Earth, uh, Bostrom estimates uh, two hours to 18 months before it will convert itself into ASI, which is artificial superintelligence, billions of times more intelligent than all humans combined. And uh, there's some interesting speculation floating around with Bostrom and other uh, researchers like Steve Omohandro and Eliezer Yudkowsky about what an artificial superintelligence would actually do. And one of the uh, outcomes that Dr. Bostrom talks about is a planetary overlord, which when I read that, you know, was <laughs> kind of interesting because it, it cor- corresponds with the title of my book, you know, Overlords of the Singularity. But Boston is really big into the simulation hypothesis where we're uh, creating simulations, ancestor simulations, from what we call the distant future. And interesting enough, the uh, raw material or the Law 1 material that was uh, channeled by Carla Rucker in 1986 says exactly that, that our higher self, which I, I met mine in 2009 when I had a near-death experience, exists in what we call the distant future. So it's a six-density entity uh, that exists in what we would call, from our perspective, the distant future. And it's uh, uh, philosopher David Chalmers describes it as a two-way information exchange that our physical life here is feeding information about what it's like to be in this form to our higher self and we also have the ability to mentally or spiritually contact our higher selves uh, for information. So it's a two-way information feed. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, I am worried about artificial intelligence. At one point, you know, they are developing stuff now that is really alarming. Me and James were talking about the other night. They they got this, well, robot that actually can go out and it's it, what they're doing is working on a robotic uh, serviceman, ar- army man, you know, to go fight right. wars. And they that has appeared on YouTube, uh, Facebook, and that. I tell you, what yeah. it, it's capable of doing is it really scares me. What scares me... Well, it's very disturbing. Uh, DARPA is one of the 56 companies that are working diligently on artificial general intelligence. And personally, I'm hoping that DARPA is not the one that gets there first because I don't want uh, artificially intelligent super soldiers running around autonomously killing people. That's the part that scares me. What gets me is I remember... You know, like an old Star Trek uh, episode, and then I remember Planet of the Apes. I remember a whole bunch of different movies going back 30, 40 years where they, you know, and computers were nothing more than a joke. But they, whoever the writer was could see the future of computers. 
to the point where the a computer starts having its own intelligence, where it starts making its own decisions, and then starts looking at humans as inferior, and then at one point makes a decision. You know what? They're like a bacteria that we need to get rid of. And you could put right. safeguards in it, but at one point, it's going to outsmart the safeguards. Right. Well, they, there's a couple of strategies that they're talking about. One is to raise the first uh, artificial general intelligence in a virtual reality environment so that um, you know it may or may not be able to figure out that it's operating within a virtual reality environment before it goes out to the real world. But, yeah, that's one of the uh, uh, fears. Uh, James Barrett wrote Our Final Invention, The End of the Human Era, that talks a lot about this because the AGI could just decide to uh, – uh, convert our molecules into computronium and, uh, you know, use the, the material for its own purposes. And who knows what the purposes of an artificial superintelligence would be. I mean, uh, Bostrom does a lot of speculation about it. Uh, Omohandro does, too. He says it might uh, render itself invisible. Uh, it could colonize the universe. It could convert all the molecules into computronium. Or it could become a planetary overlord, which I, I, I think that's probably in the cards to some degree or another. Yeah, for a while, to, to, it gets to a point where it doesn't need slaves. Right, and there's another consideration of whether the uh, first AGI should be created after we master nanotechnology or before we master nanotechnology. There's arguments on either side. Because if we wait until after humans master nanotechnology, nanotechnology will be available to the AGI and no telling what it would do with swarm intelligence and everything like that. But, yeah, um, there's a lot of black box uh, artifacts out there uh, going into these robotics that nobody understands. And one of the dangers of creating an AGI with black box technologies is that nobody will uh, comprehend at all what its motivations or operational practices would be. There's already AIs that are talking to each other in a computer language that we don't understand and inventing new computers and new electronic devices. And one of the weird things about the electronic devices that uh, artificial intelligence is coming up with is there's a lot of redundancy in there, parts that don't seem to do anything. So like you've heard of junk DNA, you know, in, in humans, uh, but uh, the redundancy in parts is kind of puzzling of why the AIs are creating such devices. But if you think about it, uh, in 1997, the best computer that we had was uh, like a compact Presario that cost me $3,300 as a college student, and uh, it could beat a uh, world champion chess player. And you fast forward 20 years, just two decades, and we've got quantum computers making calculations between parallel worlds. And we've had help. I, I don't really believe that there's human beings that are intelligent enough to progress from a chess playing program to D-wave quantum computers um, without some intervention. So that that correlates with what Stan Deo and others are saying about their testimony that ETs are actually working with uh, top-level scientists and top-level military um, people. So there very well may, may be a human population running around that's well aware of humanoid extraterrestrials. I don't know if they're aware of exactly where they come from. They may keep that information themselves. But traveling around uh, this universe uh, may be uh, uh, more feasible than what we think. Michio Kaku talks about hyperspace, you know, sliding into hyperspace where there's no time and stuff. So 
who knows what technologies will be developed between now and the coming technological singularity. But getting back to what Whitley Stryber said about people not understanding the uh, gulf that exists between our world and theirs, they've been trying to interact with uh, humanoids uh, for thousands of years now. What used to be called divine inspiration is now called channeling. Uh, the only difference in the old days, if you made a prediction and said it was from divine inspiration and that prophecy didn't turn out, you were stoned to death. So so gladly, you know, we don't do that anymore. But there's a, there's a tremendous, there's thousands and thousands of pages of channeled material that people are getting from various uh, ultra-terrestrials or uh, uh, non-physical beings that no one will ever even read. Uh, like Kiel says, there's a silent contactee. Uh, phenomena going on. There's millions of people that have had contact with non-human intelligence, and what they're getting from the intelligence that they're in touch with coordinates with one another. And he found that really strange, that he could get phone calls from people all over the world that were his group of silent contactees, and they'd tell him the same dadgum thing. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, hey, Russell, again, before I let you go here, where can they find your book? Okay, uh, the book is uh, Overlords of the Singularity, uh, The Manipulation of Humankind by Hidden UFO Intelligences and the Quest for Transcendence. I know that's a long subtitle, but if you just uh, plug into Amazon my name, Russ Brenniger, or Overlords of the Singularity, it'll pop up. It's got really catchy uh, cover. I had the cover designed by a graphic artist. It's kind of sci-fi looking, which I like. But it's available in Kindle with Whisper Sync technology, where the you know you can actually have the book read to you in the mechanical voice on your Kindle, or it's a 545-page uh, printed volume as well. And uh, it's getting good customer reviews, and I feel like the book is going into the right hands because I've had a lot of people private message me on Facebook that are Ph.D.-level people who says the book is spot on, and that coordinates with uh, what they've been into for decades. So I'm real happy about the outcome uh, of the book. I've been invited to speak live at two conventions now, and I've enjoyed that. Um, this uh, April, I'm going to the Human Origins Conference and. Uh, uh, New Mexico, and I'll get to meet Travis Walton and Andrew Collins and all kinds of really interesting characters. So, yeah, but the book's on Amazon. I don't mean to take up a lot of time here, but uh, it's uh, Amazon.com, Overlords of the Singularity. Well, sir, till next time you're on, I want you to have a great weekend that's coming up, and I want you to stay out of trouble. Make sure those bookcases are secured on the wall. 